Hello survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 44 and this time we're going from our first day on the force to the president's favourite agent as we explore the history of one of the series' most enduring characters. This is Profile, Leon S. Kennedy. My name is Cy and joining me on the panel this week, it's up to us to take out Umbrella. It's Fire Button Steve Vallance. Say hello with a guitar. Like, where's everyone going? Bingo. Our special guest this episode, the man behind YouTube's biggest Resident Evil channel. From Residents of Evil, it's JJ. Wow, thank you so much, man. And thank you guys for having me here. I can't wait to have this discussion today. This is actually, before I get into my usual uh, paragraph that I have to say every episode, this episode is sort of like a long time coming because the very first profile we did was with Tony from Row, um, uh, which was about Barry. And when we wrapped up, he was like, when you get to Leon, get JJ on. So it's it's taken like two and a half years, but <laughs> We're here. We're this, was, here. this was always the plan. And uh, let's see how it pans out. So this episode of First Aid Spray, like all others, was recorded live on our Discord server. Enter our little world of survival horror now to hear the show early and unedited, as well as join our wonderful community and keep up to date with all the latest news. You can find a link to the server, as well as all of our other social media profiles, at our website, fasprayPod.com. You can also help the show by checking out our merch or by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month, with various tiers, each with their own perks. Head over to patreon.com forward slash fasprayPod for a full list and the chance to create bonus first aid spray content. So, uh, with that in mind, the housekeeping this week, let's start with some bonus content. It's been a while, but we've crossed over a social media goal of ours. We've got some new Instagram followers, which unlocked uh, the latest Pile of Shame podcast. Uh, That has been voted on, and the winning title is Shinji Mikami's The Evil Within. So we will be recording a podcast on that uh, sometime in the coming weeks, which will be available for patrons for a month for everyone else. So make sure to check that one out to find out which member or members of the team has never played uh, The Evil Within before. And still available for Patreons for a couple more weeks before it comes public is Now That's What I Call Survival Horror, our music discussion show. This episode, Kelsey picked his top 10 tracks from Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. Uh, It's our longest episode in the series. It's definitely our most controversial. So check that one out, patrons, if you haven't. That will be coming to YouTube in uh, a few weeks. Over on our YouTube, we've had quite a few videos drop in quick succession. We had the five toughest Resident Evil unlockables written by our friend from the show and the host of the Element Zero Mass Effect podcast, N7 Lionheart. Um, And then with the Welcome to Raccoon City trailers coming out, which we'll be talking about in the news, uh, I did a reaction to that. And Kelsey took it upon himself to do a 15-minute Uh, opinion piece on why Welcome to Raccoon City will be the best Resident Evil film, so check that out if you haven't. So before we rock along, just a couple of shout outs as always with the profile episodes. Um, Thankful to be joined yet again by Distant Memories 1996 with some original writings from Leon's perspective. Uh, Just keeping that love going, keeping that relationship strong. He's put together some fantastic stuff, so please look forward to that. Uh, Breaking up the discussion in this episode with our good friend. Uh, We didn't even audition, I have to say, we didn't even audition for Leon. I was like, this is the person. Uh, And Distant Memory said, by the way, have you considered this person? And it was the same person. So it was always going to be Kendo Gunshop in the role of Leon. So look out for those file readings. They're very cool indeed. But let's circle back to our main guest. 
Uh, JJ, as I say, it's been a long time coming. I imagine most people who are listening to this are aware of who you are because Resident Evil has such a massive presence. Uh, most people probably know some elements of your story with Resident Evil, but for those who don't, perhaps, or need a reminder, take us back. What was the first Resident Evil game for you? How did you get into the series? For sure. I, I could go on, you know, for so long talking about it, but I'll try to keep it short and sweet. So... Resident Evil 2, the original, is the first game that got me into the series. Um, you know, I was a kid at that time, 1998. Uh, I was playing a lot of Super Nintendo, uh, Microsoft DOS. You know, my hero at the time was Batman, right? And, uh, you know, Christmas party came around, and I was at my cousin's house with all of my family, and they just got a PlayStation and two brand new games. It was Metal Gear Solid and Resident Evil 2. And I remember just looking, holding Resident Evil 2 in my hand, being blown away by the artwork and the uh, in-game screenshots on the back. And we're like, what game are we going to play first? We started with Resident Evil 2, and it just blew my mind. Um, you know, visually, it looked incredible in comparison to any game I played previously. Mm. Um, but just the the aesthetics, the, the city of ruin, you know, the horror of seeing zombies. It, it just, it was like a huge step for me. And um, I was fascinated with it. I was terrified. Um, but I couldn't stop playing it. I wanted more. And, you know, over time, uh, we, we would all get together at their house and we would try to, you know, see how far we could get. And I do remember one day at school, my cousins came up to me and they're like, you're never going to believe it. We got to a police station and I was like, no way. <laughs> so I went over to their house and, uh, we got to the police station, thought it was so cool. Finally getting through the city. You got to remember we were kids at that time. So it was difficult for us to get to the police station. That was an achievement. And then when uh, we did get to the police station, uh, that liquor, man, that, that put a scar on my brain. But again, I was terrified, but I couldn't stop playing it. And, uh, you know, ever since then, that's what kicked off my love for the Resident Evil series. What an incredible pair of games to <laughs> have yeah, that right? choice between Metal Gear Solid 1 and Resident Evil 2. That's uh, what a year 1998 was. Um, was. I, I think RE2, out of all of our guests, um, I'd love to ask that question because you get so many little, just different slices of story of how it happened. But I think Resident Evil 2 is probably the game that's come up the most, I think. it's Everybody shares that that, that similar story, right, of playing it with older cousins or older or friends or sure. family members. And we all share very similar stories, but it is nice to hear how everybody got into the series and it does feel like yeah, a lot of people came around with resident evil too very appropriate considering today's talking point as well i'm sure mm -hmm. yeah um speaking of which what it's somewhat integral in a way i think to the story of residents of evil because i know you know from the outside looking in i i kind of know how Roe came to be anyway i kind of watched it sort of at the early days kind of blossom from where it was but uh, again for the people that aren't aware of residents of evil um, how did that all come to be? Okay, so there. I remember back in like 2012, Capcom first teased at a potential Resident Evil 2 remake and being, you know, a longtime fan of Resident, my favorite game of all time, and how well done the Resident Evil 1 remake was, I wanted to do whatever I could to let Capcom know that, yes, we want a Resident Evil 2 remake. I remember they said, if, if fans ask nicely, we'll do it. And so I hopped on wherever I could. And, and at this time, I live in a very small town. There's not a lot of Resident Evil fans here. I kind of felt 
like my love for the series i would talk about it from time to time with a few people but there was really nobody to talk to i had no community mm. uh so i hopped online and i found the remake resident evil 2 pa- uh, fan page on facebook so i joined that you know just whatever i could to make my voice louder or just try to help out in getting a resident evil 2 remake but that page inspired me because I seen that there's a very large community online that I had no idea about. So I started my own Resident Evil fan page. And again, this was this was years ago on Facebook, the Residents of Evil. Um, and, you know, over time, uh, making posts, growing the community, finding uh, fellow fans, making friends. Uh, the creator of the remake Resident Evil 2 page, uh, Spencer, he actually brought me on as an editor. And, you know, over time... Uh, we just tried to campaign to push us, you know, as hard as we could for a Resident Evil 2 remake. And then uh, Resident Evil 7 dropped. And, you know, this is years later after starting the the page. Mm. Um, I remember completing Resident Evil 7. And I enjoyed Resident Evil 7. But I had this urge to go back to Resident Evil 1. Like, I just wanted to go back to where it started. And I was like, you know what? There's a lot of things I want to talk about. I have a lot of ideas. Um, I want to catalog my um, my experience going back to the beginning. I'm going to start a YouTube channel. And, um, you know, over time, I, I started talking about um, news that was going on with Resident Evil 7, um, stuff I wanted to see in a Resident Evil 2 remake. And I had friends that were editors on the Facebook page. And then I had friends from other pages and brought them on. And we had a podcast and it was a great discussion. Um, and then we started, you know, hey, this we have such good chemistry together. Why don't we try to play Resident Evil together? So we started with Outbreak, and we realized that was a lot of fun. And then one of the guys, Ali, on the team, he um, started reaching out to actors and, and voice actors from the right. series. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there. We were talking about news. We were playing games. We were doing a podcast. We were doing interviews. And it just, uh, it, one of the biggest reasons behind the channel too was I wanted to continue pushing for a Resident Evil 2 remake any way I could so now that I was doing videos I started making videos about the Resident Evil 2 remake to build hype uh, and attention to it and I remember the day that you know the we do it like completely blew my mind and um and then the day that we finally got that that trailer at E3 I believe 2018 Mm -hmm. um that was highlight of my life, I guess you could say. I was just like all those years of campaigning, and it's finally happening, and it was just amazing. Yeah, snowballing is definitely the word because I remember just seeing how quickly everything came together with Row and how it just going from strength to strength to strength, you know. And we've had a lot of guests on the show uh, from the community who are really, you know, old guard. We're talking websites and forums and stuff, um, and some of that stuff was dying out like you say there was a community out there that was maybe a little bit lost um and that kind of the era that you're talking about there was a space there for youtube to sort of be the direction to funnel some of that so obviously there's like a big gap in the market there that residents evil just really honed in on um that i think in the grand scheme of things um it's kind of inspired a lot of these old guard of these websites a lot of these community members to sort of come back um more inspired to create more um yeah whether that's inspiration way or like a friendly competition way and we're, we're you know 
in a strange way, Resident Evil has led back a lot of people to sort of like the online Resident Evil community. And, you know, we say it all the time on the show, I think, that the, residents, the, the Resident Evil online community is in such a good place now because there's so many great... Uh, different places like First Aid Spray, like Residents of Evil, Crimson Head, Resident Evil Podcast. We could go on and on. Uh, you know, Biohazard Declassified. And generally speaking, everyone's really friendly with each other, which is great. You know, it's a generally fairly positive place. Uh, and it's good just to see everybody making cool stuff. I agree. It's definitely, uh, like I said, you know, there was always that wanting to be part of a community and finally going online and seeing you know, it, it was, it's crazy because even to this day, I'm learning how vast the community is online right. and the forums and the pages. And to see that resurgence of fans coming back online and being stronger than ever, it's just amazing. It's truly an amazing experience. And I'm very grateful to be part of this community. Agreed. Okay, so JJ will be joining us for the main discussion all about Leon. But in the meantime, Steve and I will be going over the hot breaking news. So our first piece of news, dear listeners, is that not one, but two Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City trailers have dropped. It's about time, isn't it? <laughs> we were... Uh... Uh, so, oh, yeah. go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, we, we, as uh, you know, YouTube viewers will have known, Sai's already reacted to one of them. But uh, I'm curious as to their thoughts of the full package now. Mm, there's a lot of... Uh... I think a lot of people are leaning in the direction of that second trailer. The The first one was very action-heavy, very quick, had your typical... I think I said in my reaction, but I didn't really get into it. But I'm, I'm so... I've been over the whole take-a-pop song, slow-it-down thing for a trailer for the last 10 years. So at this point, it's just like, we're still doing this. So I wasn't massively a fan of that sort of presentation. And a lot of people like the second one because it's slower. It sort of meters out the plot. Um... It definitely gives us an idea that Claire almost feels like she's going to be the the main character or, or get a lot of screen time at least. So, you know, I, I liked both of them, definitely. But I think people generally are, they're right when they say that second one is, feels more appropriate. Obviously, we haven't seen the film, so we don't know that for sure. But that's, that's more of what I'm expecting and hoping for. Out of the two, what's your preference? Oh, the second trailer. Uh, as much as uh, you know, the first trailer immediately reminded me of that He-Man meme where he sings there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, overall, I, like pleasantly surprised. I fully expect this to be a bit of a mess, uh, but the the heart is very much in the right place. I feel. Mm. Um, you know, and yes, there's a nice juxtaposition to Infinite Darkness, where if we're being nice about it, Claire was only gently sidelined. She appears to <laughs> yeah. be the central focus of the film, which mm. I think is a nice uh, recompense. I, I, I uh, think that, uh, generally speaking, she's generally up there, right? Like, it's hard to rank all the characters versus each other, but I feel like Claire probably gets a little bit more of a shout-out in the fandom than Jill. Um, mm. But that, that's just probably the fandom I interact with, at least. You know, generally the fandom I interact with, it tends to be Chris and Claire are always up higher than Leon and Jill, which is ironic, considering the poster characters who are in Dead by Daylight were, of course, Leon and Jill. Um, <laughs> that's a very good point. Very good <laughs> but point. But no, I, I, I don't expect it to be faithful. You know, when they said that both, film, both RE1 and RE2 were going to be combined into a film, uh, I fully expected it to not be a faithful adaption as long as it's in the right direction 
and we don't have an AI spouting about they're all going to die down here or <laughs> my name is Alice over and over and over again. And instead, we've got the Spencer Mansion, we've got the RPD, we've got characters we know and recognize in terms of their names and appearances. That's pretty sound. I don't even expect like uh, a full one-to-one -one with them. I, uh, just the fact that these people are like the people we know. Mm. Uh, it, it could be complete tosh. But it's like the first Doom film, for example, or many other video game adaptions where they make the cardinal sin of not having characters we know as the principal thing. Right. That is already, you know, it's already a leg up in that. And then we've got the sets as well. Mm. Yeah. If we get somehow, and this is this is pure, pure pie in the sky thinking, if we get any, uh, like, embellished, like, covers of Resident Evil tunes at any point, like, if we get some variation of second malformation of G, oh I may or may not be able to get off, peeled off the ceiling for weeks. I hadn't uh, even thought about that. That's a fantastic point. I hadn't even thought about the score, but... You know, it's it's funny. Um, Stars Tyrant, our friend from uh, Resident Evil Podcast, tweeted out, there is a... um. Like a fan art thing going on related to the film in some form. I'm not sure what it is, but basically, uh, it's like a competition, and I think they might even use your image in like some kind of marketing way. Um, but among all the rules was like, if you're going to use this character, you must use this character as well. If you're going to this many characters, you have to include these ones and so on and so forth. A little bit weird, but I'm sure it makes sense if you're in the marketing thing. But don't worry, dear listeners, the last rule was do not feature Mili Jovovich. That's what it said. So if you, stipulation. <laughs> if you're expecting Alice to come flying through a mansion window to save the day, I can, you know, say for certain that's pretty much not going to happen. So that's nice at the very least. Um, I was talking to Sherwin about this, and I think um, you're right, it's going to be you know the story remains to be seen it's going to be a bit of a weird hodgepodge what the pace is going to be like is obviously up for debate because the runtime is like very it's like an hour 45 or something it's not a long movie so to squeeze everything in it's going to be something but just from the trailers alone it does look fun i just want it to be fun and the easter eggs it's going yeah. to be a tour de force of easter eggs people are already pointing out stuff about how the a particular painting behind Chris is the uh, the sword key uh, painting from remake. Is it sword key or is it shield key? One of the ones. The, it's the it's the mansion puzzle oh. with a clock to yeah, get the, the mansion key for the upstairs shield key. Yeah, it's a shield key. Yeah, from the dining room. Um, the obviously the Ashfords briefly in it, and there's a trailer breakdown with the director who said we we have used in-game footage just briefly in that, which is really cool. Um, Batman pointed out that. The Lisa Trevor file that you see about her briefly in the trailer has all the correct like dates and years on it. So that's very promising in terms of that kind of stuff. So if you want something that is made with love, I think this is definitely going to be it. Obviously, the question about quality, we won't know until it comes out. We do have a date now for certain. They wouldn't put a trailer out if they weren't pretty much married to this date. So let's hope it doesn't shift. November 24th in the US, and it looks like, according to various news sources, that we'll be waiting a little bit longer. It looks like December 3rd in the UK, which is a shame. I don't understand it, but I guess it's not the worst thing in the world. That is only, what, a week and a half or something, isn't it? So it's not terrible. Like, this film could be just four cosplayers going to a Resident Evil-themed theme park at this point, and it already looks like it's going to be more enjoyable for me. Uh, mm. the, there's like what a little bit of CGI that's putting people off and stuff, which is fine. I get you, you know, crap, 
crap special effects and draw people out. But if they do enough practical stuff, it will hopefully balance that. Um, mm. uh, but other than that, yeah, kind of good. We're probably going to wait until December. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's just hope we can avoid, you know, seeing too much about it. Of course, there's only so much you can do. We're obviously on our end, seeing that most of us are from the UK, we won't be sharing anything from the film on our socials once it's out until it's out at least in the uk if if not everywhere else if there's a later date to come um so don't worry you won't have to worry about us uh doing anything that might spoil your fun if you're uk bound or anywhere else um we will be hesitant to share that kind of stuff mostly because i sure as hell don't want to see it (laughs) and our second news story steamforge games resident evil the board game the Kickstarter goes live on October 26th. Yeah, it's very exciting times indeed. Make sure you head over to... I'll put a link in the description. Uh, make sure you head over and click follow on that one so that you can be notified of when it goes live. Um, if you haven't been keeping an eye out on Steamforge social media or the website, um, there is blog posts going out at the moment every week or so to sort of explain what's new about the game how it changes it up from the last two um there's some cool new features there i won't talk about it too much because you know we've got a full podcast to get into but there's there's some stuff there that's going to make it um as true and characterful to re1 uh in particular the remake as the previous two games were for re2 and re3 so it's definitely been thought about on that end sort of separating it from the others and making it feel true to that game um, but yes, make sure you're following the Kickstarter uh, and follow along with us for the whole entirety of the Kickstarter because there's a rather exciting thing with it's unique and we're going to be trying something. It's almost going to be kind of like a choose your own adventure where over the course of the Kickstarter, uh, the backers will be invited to make decisions about exploring our very own narrative adventure of the Spencer Mansion where we'll be going from room to room um, and hopefully looking out for members of stars to save and hopefully we'll save well we can only save so many let's put it that way so some bodies will have to die uh, but depending on who you save that will affect the content of the game you won't be missing out on anything they'll just be more advanced characters uh, which is which is something brand new that we've never done before um, and I'm really excited to see that sort of community obviously us at First Ace have been very involved with the board games and also the community of the board games. It's going to be cool to see them engage with that. Um, I don't, again, want to dwell on this too much, but I've used the word we specifically there um, because I haven't necessarily worked on RE1, but within the last couple of weeks, if you haven't seen on social media, I have taken a role at Steamforge Games, which is very exciting. So, yes, join us on Kickstarter. I will be there in the comments hopefully answering all your questions as best I can um, and leaving teases where I can as well about that game. Um, Yeah, obviously that's going to affect how we cover it, but we certainly will be doing something on the channel to show off RE1, the board game, down the line, I'm sure. Hence why I don't want to talk about it too much right now. It's fine. I'll just turn around and say that as uh, someone who is more of an outside observer in this whole situation, it's all looking rather good. And I like the idea of an ARG being built up on the Kickstarter game Mm. as a meta game to kind of affect how the game develops. I think that's really fun and kind of kooky in a good way. I expect it will go down well. So hopefully people will uh, will join us for that. There's definitely some cool, cool stuff to show off coming. 
I say one last thing. I, I want to just like uh, I'm, at some point I have to sit showing down and just ask straight out: Is their real favourite character Brad Vickers? Because they will now have been playable in every single one of these games from the look of things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, this is the Brad Vickers trilogy. It's official. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that takes us nicely into the main topic of discussion for this episode, which is Profile Leon S. Kennedy. And now, reading original writings by Distant Memories 1996, who you can follow on Twitter at DistantMemory96, in character as Leon Scott Kennedy, Kendo Gunshot. You can find at youtube.com forward slash kendo gunshop. The dying of the light is just the darkness screaming back at you. A mysterious phrase of unknown origin deep in the memories of my mind. It sounded like something out of a late night horror film or some unwritten mystery novel. The words echoed in my mind as I drove down the eerie desolate stretches of highway that one summer evening in 1998 as I made my way to what was going to be my first night as a police officer for the Raccoon City Police Department. I wasn't about to get all freaked out over some random creepy phrase. I didn't scare easy, and for the line of work I had signed up for, keeping a cool level head on your shoulders in the face of danger was practically part of the job description. They always told us at the academy, no matter how good things appeared to be going during your time on the force, Above all else, expect the unexpected out there. The dimly lit lights, coupled with humid air and patches of fog coming off the road, mixed with the dark sky above made the lights from my jeep seem almost like a ghost, passing through in the dead of night. The words of that seemingly simple phrase would come back to haunt me in the end. Upon entering Raccoon City and the events that played out over the course of that horrific incident, I suppose the darkness did scream back at me, and in that dark were ragged, bloody teeth waiting to take a bite out of me. I'll never forget those streets that looked like hell itself had ripped right through them. The deathly emotionless faces of those who were once human, only to become something less than. And the unspeakable horrors that waited for me around every corner of that city. I guess what they say is true, and that the road to hell is often paved with good intentions. There was a part of me that wanted to believe that, but all of that was torn away and only left a broken shell in its place that many once called their home. I thought that by the time I arrived at the Raccoon City Police Department that I'd be safe, but I'd soon come to find out that it had fallen at the hands of the same virus that had swallowed the city whole, and in some cases, it was the most dangerous place of all. The fleeting conversation I had with one of the few surviving men left alive. A brave officer who would have been my lieutenant but gave up the ghost in the end was proof enough to me that no one in that town knew what was in store for them. Not even when hell itself showed its wicked face and broke loose from its chains into the open streets. I remember the walk down the RPD's first floor, West Hallway, and my encounter with an uninvited house guest on the ceiling that came in the form of a wicked crimson jackal with huge claws and a razor blade tongue. Somehow I was able to put that thing out of its misery, only to hear what I thought was more of them in the ventilation shafts above. The screams those things made was deafening, even as my last shotgun shell blasted its face to pieces. The remainder of the hallway was an eerie remembrance of where a fight for survival had died out well before I got there. 
The shattered windows were all boarded up, covered haphazardly in thick pieces of wood and anything else not nailed to the floor in the hopes of keeping the dead from bursting inside the station. The floor and walls were smeared with dried blood and empty shell casings telling a grim aftermath of a battle lost in fear. A door down the hall that led to an area with a small dark room for developing film tucked away below a set of stairs over the course of that dreadful night became one of the few secure places left for me in the RPD. It's truly a miracle anyone made it out of there alive. And thanks to one of the survivors of that incident, a young woman named Claire Redfield, we just might have a chance at putting an end to the Umbrella Corporation's madness one day. All right, so it's profile time. Uh, we are now at the point with profile where we've covered characters that have only had so many appearances, and now we're getting really to the big boys and girls of the pool. Uh, so with Leon, we've got a lot to cover, so we're going to try and keep it sort of succinct and rolling. Um, nevertheless, one more shout out. I am going to keep things going, sort of keep the canon in check. We're going to go through in canon order, um, and between appearances, we'll be filling in the gap with the help, of course, from the Batman uh, from the Resident Evil podcast, ResidentEvilPodcast.com, and his incredible mythology, the most thorough timeline of Resident Evil events on the internet. So, uh, shout out to him for some of these slices of lore that I'll be reading. So, let's start right off. Leon Scott Kennedy, born in 1977, was interested in the police force from a young age, and after graduating as a cadet in 1998, found himself fascinated with Raccoon City after reading all about the strange murders and disappearances that occurred earlier in the summer. Chief Irons had recently launched a recruitment drive of new officers to ease the growing concerns of citizens, especially as missing person cases were on the rise again. Leon's official start date was September 29th, 1998. However, against his better judgment, Leon found himself attending a party and getting drunk the night before his new job after a sudden breakup with his then-girlfriend. Feeling rough the next day, Leon overslept in his motel and was late for his first ever shift as a police officer. When he finally arrived, he found that the town had gone to hell and the streets were crawling with with zombies. He soon met up with Claire Redfield, the younger sister of Stars member Chris, but they were soon separated and agreed to meet at the police station. So we've arrived at Leon's debut, Resident Evil 2. We're specifically going to be talking about the 1998 version, of course, first. Um, the first ever sequel in Resident Evil is obviously that's a lot to live up to um, <clears throat> and to get the ball rolling. I know we've said this before in other profile episodes um, and in general. But Resident Evil 2 is just such a step up from Resident Evil 1 in so many ways. Um, and characterization is a big part of that because of the the bigger story and the themes of the story and the dialogue that everyone is given compared to the really sort of clumsy stuff from RE1. Uh, Leon gets to show... Uh, you know, we all love Chris and Jill in, in our own ways. Um, and they're not necessarily bad characters by any means in RE1. But Leon and the rest of the cast, but Leon especially, I think, gets to show a really broad and realistic range of emotion uh, compared to Chris and Jill. And, of course, that's all delivered by Paul Haddad, beloved, uh, the late Paul Haddad. Uh, so I, sp I think there's probably some extra reverence in this one when we talk about this, I'm sure. But, uh, JJ, since you're our guest, um, how do you feel about sort of the range that Leon gets to show in this game compared to the previous game? Um, so, I mean, he has an entire character arc in this game, mm -hmm. which I think is fantastic. You know, starting from what's going on in this town to, uh, you know, it's up to us to take down Umbrella. Right. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's fantastic to see 
him kind of throughout the entirety of this game and the events that take place during this game shape him into who we see throughout the rest of the 20 years plus of Resident Evil games. Um, you know, he he's a cop that wants to do the right thing. And at heart, he's he's a good guy, right? He wants to do the right thing. He's naive. Um, you know, it's 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 just a, a like you said in comparison to Resident Evil 1 there's a lot more dialogue here there is a there's character arcs there's a lot of story to be told and I don't know what it was but it's just something about Leon Kennedy as a kid I I really related to him I I looked up to him he was actually uh my first like actual like next to like I said earlier it was Batman was my hero <laughs> and then all of a sudden I played Resident Evil 2 and I was like whoa my mind was blown and then Leon Kennedy became my hero I, I you know I really really looked up to the character and I really respected him um but no I just feel like it was a fantastic um uh character arc throughout the game and it really just grew that attachment for the character just to see him go from rookie cop out of his element to you know kind of a a badass there at the end but yeah yeah um Steve what do you think of Leon's character especially sort of compared to what had come previously way more in depth because you know Chris and Jill they come across as at least having some kind of a handle on things at the start of their like their jaunt in the Spencer mansion Leon's obviously very much holding his head above water like uh, what could have done this and you know uh, Mm. get down we need to get to the police station split up Uh, you know what's going on and it builds up and builds up and builds up he keeps meeting people finding information and never at any point does he try and let people down He's always trying to, like, you know, do the right thing, even if he's not necessarily listened to, you know, aid, right. weight, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah, he's he's different from his forebears in that. But he's he's learning as he's going, but he's, he's always keeping his head above water until you know eventually he can swim, and then he's kicking the living daylights out of monsters left and right, and firing rocket launchers, and just generally being an awesome, cool dude, mm. which was appropriate for 1998 and the PS1 <laughs> because it was the year of the awesome, cool dude. <laughs> It's so true, and I think we talked about this a little bit before, um, or we have at some stage. The RE one Chris is like, if you're talking about the 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 male choice of hero between the two, in RE one Chris is kind of goofy, <laughs> you know. Yeah, he's not really like badass, you know, as, as as JJ said. But Leon gets to show a lot more of that. You guys both said this this hero, <laughs> all driven by the sort of heroic ideals of justice and protecting others. Um, but there's, you know, an actual toughness to him in this. Um, he gets to express frustration and anger and sort of a firmness when he's in his police officer sort of role, like especially when you're talking to characters like Ben and stuff like that. Um, he's got all of that. He feels so much more human. And of course, that's, you know, that sounds like a knock on RE1. Of course, it's not. Um, that is the team very clearly going, oh, we need to step up in this sequel um, and... Claire is obviously a fantastic character, and Leon equally so. They really knocked it out of the park. I think everyone talks about him being naive, and that's obviously like a key trait, especially at this point of the Leon story. But I think the toughness is something that, looking back on, and we'll talk about it in RE2 Remake as well, I think, it's something that stood out to me on sort of a, a look back through the cutscenes of this game um, that sort of gets forgotten about, this firmness that he has, this... Level. No one listens to him. No right. one listens to him all the time. Yeah. Like, you know, no one ever listens to me. They all run off, and then, uh, lo and behold, Leon, can you do this? Can you go get Sherry? And others like, why, why, why are you going in the streets? They're full of zombies and stuff like that. Right, it's, uh, so, it's so unique, because so many other characters would be like, you know, get behind me and be the, the hero. 
Um, but he it's much more complicated with Leon, which actually, I guess, brings us appropriately to uh, his interactions with others. Steve, how do you feel about sort of Leon's relationships with, uh, well, the mostly female cast that he associates with, but also, you know, Ben and uh, Marvin and so on? It's very, like, yeah, to, to, to roll in a slightly strange direction, he's very dismissive and not very considerate, I think, of Ben. Like, right. you know, the, the more, he has more concern about Ben as he's dying and dead than he does before at all. You know, he just sees him as a jackass who's locked himself in a jail cell. Um, but when it comes to, like, Claire, I would argue, you know, no knocks on 2019, but I would argue the relationship between Leon and Claire is, it feels stronger here than it ever does elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's you know, due to the fact they've got a radio and they occasionally ping each other. I mean, if I was in that situation, I'd probably never be off the thing. But, you know, <laughs> it's different, isn't it? you got to deal with zombies. And Ada, uh, yeah, yeah, this is always a, a forebear, uh, an issue, rather, with RE2 for me in general. As much as I love it, and it is my favourite Resi game, especially the 98 version, I feel like the relationship with uh, Leon and Ada is a little bit too quick to germinate, especially because the average player these days blitzes through that game in under three hours. So it's like they've known each other for ten minutes, not two or three hours walking around. <laughs> You know, uh, but again, I can appreciate the emotional beats and, you know, Paul Haddad's performance, especially in Leon A when they're having the standoff. And, you know, even then when she's laying, quote unquote, dying in Leon B, are some of the uh, the best, I think, of the entire like PS1 era. for like just how angry a person can be and how distraught a person can be. I mean, yes, it's a cheesy, Ada, but yeah. as a whole, their relationship is it's a wonderful thing to behold despite the fact that it's nonsense that's derived from they've known each other about 20 minutes yeah i think i think that's like a like many things in resident evil particularly this uh title as well it's influenced by hollywood i guess um yeah you know you've only got a certain amount of runtime to sort of develop a romance of course it's going to feel a little bit uh rushed and stuff like that we probably talked about it when we talked about ada as well it's that's just what it is but you're right like in that time the range that both of them get to sort of go through together and Leon are outside of that as well uh, is is great. And uh, yeah, you know, Paul Paul's the man. You know, he brought yeah. so much to this role. Uh, everyone in this game is brilliant character-wise, but Paul is plus one on top of that. He brings everything at the right time, the firmness, the softness, the wild confusion of frustration of everything that's going on around him, and the fact that, try as he might to help everyone out, he doesn't really have control on anything that's going on. Um, JJ, how do you feel about Leon's interactions with everyone else? Yes, and going to what you're saying, yes, Paul Haddad, uh, he really made the character, honestly, just, you know, actually talking with him and, and the, the amount of time and how we put the character together, um, you know, going into his performance, it really made Leon who he is. Um, and his interactions with the characters throughout the game, yes, while rushed, and yes, uh, you know, a bit cheesy at times, you know, uh, that's kind of part of what makes, you know, Resident Evil so sure. special, mm. you know. And and like you said at the time, it, there was no, it seemed completely like a step up from the original it didn't seem cheesy at the time looking back now you could say yeah it was rushed but that's part of what i love about the resident evil series is that it's it, it they were going off of a lot of uh a much more action approach than they were with um the original game so mm. it's it's much more westernized as far as it's um the way the game is laid out basically the structure of the game but his interaction you know first uh meeting with claire and then going to Robert Kendo, um, and then Marvin. Marvin was his like, 
uh, aside from the intro cutscene there with Claire, Marvin was his first uh, big interaction, and just him trying to help Marvin. When Marvin's like, "Look, I'm. There's nothing you can do about this. You need to go." Just goes to show, um, sort of how Leon's mind. Like he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to be a good cop, and you know, I'm coming back for you. It really lends to his character and 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 gives him more personality. You know what I mean? It may, he's the good guy. And then going through the game, his interactions with Claire, um, yeah, with we need to split up probably isn't uh, the best idea, but just sort of their story too throughout the game of working together and overcoming, you know, incredible odds. It's just, it's. I think I think with Paul Haddad's delivery of the character, and um, the sort of western westernized action mixed with the survival horror, I think it all just kind of came together perfectly to create a very iconic game. Right. I always read personally into the idea that Leon kind of sees Claire as someone who is capable of taking care of themselves. And that's why he votes for continuing to stay split up, because yeah. clearly he's concerned that and he doesn't know the full extent that we've got to in Raccoon City by this point. But, you know, working on the assumption that there's more survivors out there let's save as many people as we can splitting up is yeah. the way to do it so uh that's my sort of justification and then just a minor one as well what you were saying about marvin again this is just basis theory on my part but i always assumed that that scene whilst i'm pretty sure it ends the same way with cleon and leon and claire uh, they both get marvin putting a gun to their head to force them to leave i'm going to assume that that scene was written with leon in mind first because uh, you know, why wouldn't it be? It's, you know, yeah. he's talking to his superior officer and everything like that. And that's what gets Leon to leave. That's the only thing that gets him out of the room. Um, <laughs> is, you know, go save somebody else. Uh, yeah. So that, you know, again, all of that is just the way that I've looked at this. Um, any sort of, before we move on somewhat hastily, but that's the way it's going to have to be, uh, before we sort of take a sideways jump to Remake 2, any final thoughts on RE2? I'm not necessarily asking you to sort of rank them. We will maybe get to that at the end. Uh, but any final thoughts on the original RE2? Yeah, just real quick, just to kind of go to that really fast love story with with Ada there and how it kind of played out very quick. Um, I, I, I did like that in the fact that he is a young cop and, you know, when he's he's out of his element, he's trying to do the right thing, he's trying to help people, and then Ada comes along and she's kind of this badass spy. He, he's, a, he's trying to be a cop and question her, but she just repeatedly gives him the cold show, mm. cold shoulder throughout the game. And it's like it's kind of like that, that young love where... You know, you're in high school or you're just coming out of high school and you, and you fall in love with what you can't have. And it's just, I don't know, it kind of lends to the young, naive cop, uh, rookie cop. Oh, totally. I, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, not that it was necessarily uh, written this way, but him coming off the back of a breakup literally the night before. He's very, yeah. very tender. I'm very, you know, excited that we're probably gonna now that that's canon i think after the fact i'm pretty sure that wasn't actually revealed to us at any point around 1998 but now that we know that that's the reason why they justified him being so late i'm excited to see how that's portrayed a bit you know in the upcoming film because the director has specifically said oh he's going to be hung over and stuff like that oh, <laughs> so that's yeah. that's really cool but nonetheless yeah. uh let's take a sideways jaunt 
over to Remake 2, the 2019 Resident Evil 2, uh, Nick Apostolides as the role of Leon. JJ, I expect that you might be slightly biased in this one, being that he's a oh, personal I... friend of yours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a bit. You know, I, I, one thing, uh, Nick Apostolides... He respects the character and loves the series as much as we do. Right. So it's re- it was really cool to have somebody play that role that also, you know, is a very talented actor, very professional, talented actor who also loves the character and respects the series like we do. Mm-hmm. And yes, a, fr- a friend, a friend of the channel. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's start, you know, with Nick then. I think it's probably the, lo- the logical place to start is uh, you're so right. You know, now we've got to the point where we're getting actors that have experienced the series before, uh, that perhaps grew up with the series like Nick did, um, that are just so excited to be a part of it. And that's really cool. And, you know, that it shows, how, you know, the hard work that they put in because of that really, really shows. Um, I don't think, I'm, I can't speak for everyone, but I imagine 90-something percent of players of Remake 2 were very happy with Nick's portrayal of Leon. I know we were all very positive about it over here i've not really heard any bad words said about it um because what's i think perhaps most important and obviously we'll talk about leon's evolving character over the years but there was definitely some concerns about how they were going to you know were they going to get his character right uh he's not as we just talked about a superhero he's badass but there's that naivety and stuff like that are are they going to be accurately portraying that and i think writing wise and nick's performance yeah just straight out of the park with it steve uh how well would you rate nick's uh performance as leon in remake 2 i'm definitely in that 97 percent. i think you know uh, nick is a fantastic dude and that they they got it you know when you know when someone's like given a role like yeah do do a a new fresh take on paula dad's leon and and they went yeah okay I'll go for it with the <laughs> with the reverence and you know the reverence mm. and uh, uh, appropriate candor to it I I I love how innocent he comes across yeah. in remake too like he feels even more innocent than you know ninety eight Leon I, I, I there's no real complaints that I have I, I think Nick is you know really good at what he did I, I particularly stand out most to me will be like the stuff with Marvin. And uh, you know, yes. the, the stuff with Ada, uh, I, I find like portraying a person who is being manipulated and then overcoming that manipulation uh, is fantastic. You know, the, the whole "I'm taking you in" drew me a little out, but at the same token, uh, he's 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 upset, and frustrated. What's he going to say? He's a cop, you know? Yeah, and he's like a 21 year old as well at this yeah. point. So that's what his idea of what he needs to say is, right? So yeah, yeah, loads of great little moments like that. Um, you know, when you mentioned Marvin, I immediately thought of right at the beginning of the game uh, when he gets pulled out from the shutter um, and he you can see it in his face and the way that Leon says how regretful he is that he couldn't save Elliot Edward from getting cut in half. Um, just little moments like that that feed into it. It's just, just fantastic. Um, this is why, why I mentioned the toughness specifically and you hit right on it. Um, despite the fact that now Leon is allowed to swear and swear a fair amount, yeah (laughs) i think overall compared to re2 classic uh he feels a little bit softer overall despite the swearing um he is a little bit he doesn't quite have that toughness from re2 uh, 98 which is perhaps why uh, it stood out to me because i actually looked at them side by side that being said overall no complaints fantastic you know job of bringing leon back to you know his roots uh this guy that 
has known what he's wanted to do with his life for so long, starting his dream job and then immediately coming to this nightmare and doing his best to look out for everyone involved. Um, and of course, on top of that, it's a little bit easier to see the line between Remake 2 and RE4 uh, with Leon yeah. in this because he's got a few jabs of humour in there. Uh, JJ, how do you feel about Remake 2, Leon's character? I think that Nick Apostolidis did a fantastic uh, young Leon. I, th- I honestly think he nailed it. I think the respect he had, the professionalism um, that he brought to the table, and just all the attention to the small details, right? Uh, yes, he does feel a bit softer, and y- yes, um, yes, I think there should have probably been more cutscenes showcasing, you know, his and the other actors' um, acting chops, basically, because they all did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. And that scene with Marvin, oh my God! Like the be- between the be- the first scene with Marvin and the original to the scene with Marvin, uh, Christopher is a fantastic actor, and he absolutely right. nailed it as Marvin. Um, but no, I think I think that if, you know, even though the story of this game, some things change, the overall arc of Leon remains the same. He goes from a naive cop that is out of his element and is just trying to do the right thing, trying to you're co- you're you I'm taking you in with Ada. It's it's just a fantastic retelling of the same story. A reimagining, as they would say, and I think that Nick really delivered, and really, while paying respects to Paul Haddad's performance in the original, Nick made it his own, but kept faithful to Leon as a character, you know, that Paul had a really big hand in creating, and I think that level of respect and attention to small details and the professionalism, really, uh, he really nailed it. Yeah, absolutely no complaints. Um, I don't have a whole lot more to say about Remake 2. So, uh, Steve, any any more thoughts of character interactions and performance-wise? Yeah, it gets a lot of stick, but I actually really do like the the gate side, the side gate scene mm. with, you know, mm-hmm. Nick and Steph, where they're like, to me, I just see it as two people who are knackered trying to, like, cheer themselves up a little before they go back into it. I know yeah. people see it as flirting, but I don't know, maybe I'm just missing it all. Uh, and I love the little scenes, like the, the stuff like, for example, he's just uh, seeing the train about to depart with Alan. He's like, he's knackered, he's tired, and he's got to keep going. That, those small little bits like that, you know, where it's just those little extra touches that I think make him that a little bit more of a rounded person. Yeah. No, no knocking on Paula Dad, obviously not, you know, but I, I like the, the, the added little embellishments and stuff and development to his character in it. I think it helps a lot. Definitely. Agreed. Uh, JJ, any more thoughts about Remake 2? Um, it was a fantastic remake. I uh, uh, I know we're talking about Leon Kennedy in particular. Um, you know, when they showcased it, it was different than the Resident Evil 1 remake. I was very excited, but I was very skeptical. But overall, with the performances, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed Nick's performance as Leon. I don't think I have anything else to add to that. Yeah, that's fair. I think that, you know, we'll always sing the praise, no matter what you think of the gameplay perhaps or changes to the story so on and so forth from both of the remakes the the big strength that nobody can deny is stuff like cutscenes and characterization and stuff like that um just throughout both two and three has been very 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 strong um so yeah. and, and it's very hard to sort of rank those performances and characters because they're all so good but uh yeah i think the casting for leon was was perfect so Certainly, no complaints about that one. One, one more quick thing I want to add to that, and I'm sorry to jump in here, but uh, Nick has a Boston accent, so oh yeah, uh, I having, yeah, having a yeah. discussion with him, like you said, cop, 
you know, with the Boston accent, a lot of things he said. So he had to change some words around so that that Boston accent wouldn't come out and he could, you know, deliver it in a way that the directors were looking for. But again, that's, you know, he could have just kept the Boston accent, but he chose to to pay attention to the small details and change things up. I don't know. There you go. That's that's the bias that I yeah. was talking about. <laughs> oh, okay. Is that? Is that I, I, no, no, no. I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, you're, you're oh, totally gotcha. right. You're totally right. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's move onwards. Uh, as I say, we're going to do this in canon order. So next up is a bit of a side story. Following the events of Raccoon City, Leon met an official named Adam Benford who wished to recruit him for a soon-to-be-established secret military agency designed to look into the existence of biological weapons. Leon accepted the offering in exchange for the assurances over Sherry's ongoing safety. The Raccoon incident also left him with a profound hatred for Umbrella and he wanted further opportunities to take them down. Leon began a rigorous training program to prepare for his new role and he rarely spoke of the Raccoon City incident. The only person he would really open up to was Adam Benford, the man who recruited him. Leon found Benford shared the same hatred of biological weapons as he did, and this shared interest led to them to becoming friends. In the ensuing years, the new government administration had laid out their intentions to earn public support and regain trust by taking a firm anti-umbrella stance. One of these measures was the Antivirus Weapons Protocol number. 7600, a directive that afforded Leon a number of special privileges in order to further investigate Umbrella Corporation and eradicate their biological weaponry. As a direct tie into this order, Leon found himself dispatched to South America in 2002 to investigate Javier Hidalgo's relationship to Umbrella. Uh, Javier was a notorious drug lord and leader of the Sacred Snakes crime syndicate. He was Leon was joined on this mission by Jack Krauser, a US SOCOM operative. So, of course, this brings us to Operation Javier from Darkside Chronicles, the story that sort of pieces together uh, yet another retelling of Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil Code Veronica. Um, this is sort of like the interweaving thread. And more than anything else, I think everyone would agree that this was a great title to sort of feed Krauser back into the story uh, after being introduced in Resident Evil 4 years prior. Um, I don't have a whole... There is probably a lot we can say about Dark Side because it's a rail shooter, so there's not a lot of... Not to say there is not a lot of story, but there's not a lot of uh, back-and-forth dialogue that's particularly intrinsic to that story. It, it, you know, it's a railgun game. It's about the, the gameplay. But nonetheless, we can talk about it uh, a little bit in terms of the performance and Leon's role here. Um, so, uh, Steve, why don't you start us off with this one? Uh, what's your thoughts on Leon's portrayal in the Dark Side Chronicles side story? Solid. I, I would say Paul Mercier does a solid job. I It feels like it's he's trying to be a younger than RE4 Leon, and it shows, and, and in a positive way. And I, I love the the almost buddy cop vibe, uh, although, <laughs> admittedly, as we know, it's one-sided between him and Krauser, and he genuinely... On his side of things, he at least gives a damn when Krauser gets hurt, and he's trying to make sure that, for example, Manuela is safe, and he's mm-hmm. trying to make sure she doesn't bleed herself to death taking on big baddies, which is like, you know, a, a, being a protector, which is, you know, part of his RE4 rule set and moves, shall we say, <laughs> but it works well here, and I uh, I have no real complaints, I'm going to be honest, when it comes to a lot of these, it's going to be like, Steve, what do you think of Leon? Hey, it was all right, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> But in particular, I, I, I do appreciate that it's a dynamic you don't normally see with him in this whole, like, trying to look after people and, at the same time, make sure his colleague is not dying on the battlefield next to him. Mm. Which, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I, I, would, I would, JJ, are you in the same camp? Uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Actually, this one is difficult for me to discuss 
Um, for a few reasons. It's one I have. It's 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 been a while since I played sure. that. You know, I refreshed my memory a bit, but it's hard to talk about his portrayal as Leon without talking about his portrayal with my first impression with Paul Mercier as Leon in Resident Evil Four. I will say though that that he does carry that same. Uh, good cop wanting to do the right thing, but he's got a bit more, uh, you know, a, a bit more experience under his belt. And it mm. is it is nice to see him going from two to this, then into four. Yeah. And then and to see Krauser come back and his interactions with Krauser, it really shows you, it gives you, number one, what they did before and how they knew each other. Uh, but number two, kind of why the events of four played out the way they played out and i do think that as a side thing a canon side game i think it was it was great to have that and to get to see and witness uh leon you know on that mission yes i agree you know um obviously the big part as, as we said is it's is serving to develop that relationship with krauser more than anything else but i think you know even with the limited script of this game um they did a pretty good job with, as you just said, JJ, kind of putting it in between the two. You know, he's still a bit idealistic. Um, he's still very much looking out for other people. Um, he's not, if you'd like to describe it as sort of confident and cocky, he's his RE4 patrol. He's not making the, the jokes yet. He's not got to that point of comfort, uh, but he has got that more experience. So I wrote down the word, he's kind of more hardened. He's a bit more short with things. Uh, he's, you know, taking this new role pretty seriously obviously which is you know the absolute right direction when you know what his goals are as a character uh, it, it slots in really nicely considering that it is just uh it, it could be described as a bit of a throwaway side game it doesn't really have to have too much impact i think they did a really good job with the script whether it's intentional or not it just slides in wonderfully between two and four uh and yeah paul mercier did you know a good job with what he was given um, but beyond that, though, I suppose there isn't there isn't too much to say. But since we're covering everything canon, uh, I at least needed to give it a nod. All right, sure. well, let's move on then to the, one of the other big titles. This one's going to be an interesting one indeed. So in 2004, Leon's duties were expanded further after his superiors assessed his growing skill set and believed him suited to VIP protection. He received special training via a secret organization working under the direct control of the new President of the United States and was to join the security detail for President Graham's family. But before he could take up his new position, Ashley Graham was abducted whilst on her way home from university. Following extensive background checks, Leon's first assignment was to investigate her abduction and bring her home safely. Because the government feared an inside leak had led to her capture, it was agreed that Leon being sent in alone would minimise further intelligence leaks. Leon was sent to an isolated region of rural southern Europe, or as we like to call it, not Spain, where he uncovered a sinister religious cult known as Los Illuminados. So, of course, Resident Evil 4... Uh, I said, you know, Paul Mercier in his first performance as Leon, the, he was cast quite early on into Resident Evil 4's production. As we know, when we covered 3.5, he was already portraying Leon when it was, you know, the Hookman build and stuff like that. Um, so this was a long time coming, this game. Before we get into it, uh, talking specifically about Leon's character, JJ, when you played this game for the first time, uh, yeah. did Leon's character. How did you feel about that? Was it like a... It must have... Because I'm sure a lot of people felt very similarly and it was a very big change or did you feel it was kind of natural? 
it was a uh, very polarizing. I'm going to be completely right. honest with this, and I'm I'm going to speak on it for the very time that I first played it. When I first played Resident Evil 4, I you know I was obviously very excited. I bought a GameCube for Resident Evil 1 remake and Resident Evil 4. Got it day one, and just being completely honest, my time first playing that game, I did not like the direction they took Leon. I was very hard on it. I I still played the game. I had a lot of fun playing it. It was it was the first time I had a ton of fun playing a Resident Evil game, um, but did not enjoy the direction and 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 Leon's character. No, nothing against Paul Mercier. It was it was just the character itself I did not like. But to that, I took a very long hiatus um, from that game. I actually didn't revisit it. Uh, and if you if you go back to our earlier podcast, I was pretty hard on Resident Evil 4. It wasn't until about three years ago where I revisited it, where I absolutely fell in love with the game and Paul Mercier's performance as Leon and how Leon was written. So it's one of those weird cases where I absolutely didn't like it, and now I love it. And it's just really weird how, you know, 12 years could completely change your outlook and perspective on a character. It's, yeah. So there's a lot to talk about with this one for me, personally. Right. I mean... Don't worry, you're among very similar company here. I had the same reaction on release. Uh, I've gone on record to say that I was in camp. Hashtag not my Resident Evil, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's it's taken a long time to come around to enjoying it and, and stuff like that. Um, Steve, I know you're a bit, you know, you're a big RE4 fan. So how do you feel about Leon's I character? I can't play any Resi game. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, but... Uh, uh, yeah, no, I, th this is one that uh, uh, over the years I've kind of just accepted various not necessarily sensible head cannons to get me through without any <laughs> sure. divergence in character. Like, I, I see Leon's quippiness and, shall we say, more snarky personality that is more present in this game than all the others is because he's got a plagger in his neck, because it doesn't really start emerging <laughs> until after he's already had it injected. But that's head cannon for you. Uh, it, it helps a lot, it smooths over some cracks. You know? <laughs> that's uh, what it's for. <laughs> yeah. Overall, I, like, I, I generally like how it builds up and the atmosphere to it, because he starts out, he's just literally got these cops who seem dodgy, aren't very helpful, like, yeah, okay, sorry to have bothered you. And it's like, walks into a house and immediately gets uh, accosted by a maniac with a hatchet. And it just spirals from there. And it feels like he goes down on a wild ride meeting strange and crazy people, but he's still polite to them and gets overly attached rather quickly. For example, you know, Lewis and Mike. <laughs> yeah, oh, sure. Lewis. Lewis. Hold on, yeah. to that, when you yeah. say polite, is is breaking and entering into a, a villager's home polite <laughs> and then blasting him in the face? I think I mean, not. Who's the real the villain here? <laughs> Who's the real villain? Yeah. Uh, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. No, um, and I especially really like the standoffs, particularly with uh, with the villains. Like, you know, in, in Leon and Krauser, I think it helps with Darkseid Chronicles, but you didn't need that for Salazar and Sadler. You know, mm. Salazar trying to goad him, and Sadler literally taunting him, to which Leon is getting angry. I, I think it's it's a nice side to him. And, you know, the cheesy quips, uh, the nature of the action game, I suppose. That's the thing, uh, isn't but, it? Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. that's you know, it stood out. RE4 in general stood out on release for obviously a huge number of reasons. Uh, and one of them was Leon's character becoming this sort of 80s action movie hero with bad one-liners and all that stuff. Uh, but what's funny is when you make a list of his appearances, like I did for this podcast, 
it still stands out because it's the only time that we really went this over the top with it. Like, okay, he's got some cheeky comments here and there, but this is completely overt. Like, it's it's kind of difficult because on the one hand, um, it feels like with the nature and the the sort of irreverent tone, if you like, that RE4 is going for, it doesn't really feel like Leon's taking much of this all that seriously you know oh your right hand comes off is like that's what you say to a cult leader who's trying to like enslave humanity that's a bit odd you know making stupid dumb guy obviously it works in terms of the feeling that the game is going for does it work for leon's character not really (laughs) it's it's a a, very good topic it's a very wild turn um it's he and his charge jump down a 20-foot hole, and the first thing you've got to say is, I know you'd be fine if you landed on your butt, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, even today, like, there's there's a, there's a something to be said about something like Dark Side Chronicles where you can go and layer in some extra connections between characters and explain some stuff. But there, there's no way that this never stands out as being a very weird version of Leon. Um, it's likeable. It's certainly likeable. You know, Paul's performance is a big part of that. You know, there's a real sense of fun to this yeah. Leon, which isn't a bad thing. It fits with, like I say, it fits with the game. But <laughs> when you're coming off the back of like RE2, it is very strange. It will always be very strange. Yeah. Last and Plagueis. Th- I'm telling you, it's the last Plagueis playing with his neurochemistry. <laughs> <laughs> I think Nep- doesn't Neptune uh, have like a, a theory that this is Gaiden Leon. That's why he's so different. <laughs> Oh my god, that's that's crazy. <laughs> I'm down for that. Um, JJ, how do you feel about sort of Leon's interactions with you know the likes of Ada Krauser and the villains in this game? Yes. So okay. So going to now playing it so many years later and falling in love with it, the game itself is a very uh, it has its own very unique artistic style. And after coming around to it with an open mind so many years later. I've, I've come to love it because not only does the game have its own unique style and it stands out as it, it it does stand out when you compare Leon in 2 to Leon in 6 and then Leon in 4, it does stand out. But I think that's what makes the game so special and why there is such mm. a huge community of Resident Evil fans around Resident Evil 4. And I do feel like Paul Mercier's performance as Leon fits absolutely perfectly with the theme and art style they are trying to achieve in the yes. game. Yes, yeah. Yes, and with that, yes, it is. It is. Uh, it is very extreme as far as his personality and the actions are, which again I really do enjoy now. But I do feel like there is a lot of, of, original Leon still in there. You know, there is. There's those moments when you finally see Ada, and you're like, oh my god, this is the first time we're seeing them since Resident Evil Two. Um, you know, this just confirms that she did live. Um, it, it was it was really cool because you got just a hint of that Leon is still that that guy trying to chase Ada and she mm. still is kind of one step ahead of him, but he's come so far between two and four where he is, he no matter how cool and 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 uh, and badass he has come since two and four, he still is chasing after Ada and I just found that 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 they still had that chemistry between the two um in the game I, I thought that was really cool but yes he is he is full of one-liners a, l- a lot of cringe one-liners that have become iconic uh <laughs> to the series and it really did um it it really did achieve what resident evil 4 as a whole was trying to achieve as they were trying to reinvent the series and 
it's difficult to say if it was the right move or not because yeah it did and it it sold a ton you know we're still getting uh resident evil 4 to this day now coming to vr and leon's performance was very of what they were trying to do um so it's very i i, I enjoy it very much in its own unique way i don't know what else i could say to yeah that. that's that's fair you know i definitely see what you're saying about uh their interactions with Ada, though you know they're they're nice. My only problem is with the fact that it doesn't further that story, and in fact, that's true of pretty much every time we see these characters together. So that's a, that's more like a larger subject, right? We we finish our E four in terms of Leon and Ada's relationship, kind of where we started, except you know Leon now knows for certain that she's alive. Uh, it doesn't really progress, but it is nice to see that chemistry, and I think he does have. Uh, good chemistry with with pretty much everyone you know in terms of the rest of the cast steve how do you feel about uh, leon's interactions in re4 yeah aside from rapid onset grief i've got no complaints uh, it's generally <laughs> something uh, especially love like you know the the cheekiness between him and ada well you know where they're all like nodding at each other or traveling somewhere in the speedboat and stuff like that or even like where she's uh she has to stab him out of his like you know plagger based trance mm. and his first thoughts are i've still got to save ashley you know it's it's, it's all awesome you know is it like as emotionally moving as say re2 era probably not not for me but i still as as a through line i think it's solid and it's it's fun you know a, a fun time i i have no real complaints on that regard that's like i said i'm a very broken record already i've got no complaints about leo in <laughs> re4 i think he's all right you know i, I like the way he sasses the baddies it may not be a bit sensible uh but yeah fair enough enjoyable that's, that's fair you know there, there's a couple of things that leon does in this game that kind of irk me um just they're just minor things which overall so like for example uh comments about hunnigan with no glasses just stupid yeah. stupid and unnecessary stuff <laughs> yeah. and we've joked about it before the fact that he can't pronounce Luis's name correctly <laughs> yeah but you know overall in terms of this like kind of goofy cocky leon it kind of he's kind of like <laughs> this is gonna sound so dumb. It's a bit like a playful douchebag in this. Like it's like it's, okay, yes. it's, it's fine, whatever. Like it fits the whole tone. So yeah, I think uh, overall, like like I said, yeah, it really fits what the tone of the game is, what they were going for with it. You know, uh, you know, uh, RE4 is once you get over perhaps the initial jitters that it goes for in its action horror style of feeling overwhelmed. It's just a fun game. It's just meant to be a fun game. So Leon in this game being kind of fun, it's appropriate. So overall, I think it, it fits really well. And of course, as we said, Paul did did a pretty good job, you know, stepping up to that. No complaints on this end. Although, don't worry, Steve, I've got some complaints about Leon coming up. So uh, oh, <laughs> we, um, <Good> point. <laughs> we won't um, fill in too much lore between the next one because really... The next few appearances are really just continuation of Leon's exploration, uh, working for the government and the various things that they sent him out to do and so on and so forth. So we're just going to jump ahead a year to uh, the Hardeville incident in 2004, I think it was, or 2005, either way. Uh, so the events of Resident Evil Degeneration is what we're going to talk about next. Paul Mercier coming back to play 
Leon in this one, the first CGI film for the series. Uh, one of the reasons why Leon's sort of appearance list is so big is that we get to talk about all four of the CGI things, with Leon being the lead character in all of them. Uh, so Degeneration is first. Uh, oh, where do I start with this one? Um, Steve, is Leon the most boring character in this film? Yes, by <laughs> a uh, a very, very wide margin, I think. Which yes. is strange, because I remember saying on our Claire Redfield profile that her appearance in this is one of her, one of my favourites. Uh, right. Juxtaposed against easily my least favourite, for Leon. Uh, it's like they uh, they must have, they saw the description that badasses must be quiet and succinct and went so hard on it, it just hurts. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. completely agree. Um, flat, boring, lifeless. I'm not sure what happened. If it was the voice direction or something. But Leon, he just sounds bored most of the time. And considering what we just talked about, and this is a year or so after the events of Resident Evil 4... It makes no sense. Like, it's such a massive contrast with RE4 um, and even what's to come after, which admittedly literally is an, a, an appearance that came out this year, I know, but it's ah, uh, it's it doesn't help Damnation at all, does it? It doesn't add any life to that film. Um, I, you know, cards on the table, I quite, out of all of them, I quite like Degeneration. There are, that's got a lot to like in it as an overall product for me. But Leon is just... Terribly boring. JJ, what do you think? Are you in agreement? I'm completely in agreement. Uh, out of the canon series, this is my least favorite portrayal of Leon. Mm. He is completely lifeless. And I remember being so excited and overall enjoying this movie because, you know, we were coming off the live action movies to something more faithful, grounded. And Claire absolutely kills it in this movie. And it's just so disappointed. So disappointing to see, you know, they're trying to make a star of Leon. He had his, his quippy lines and everything in Forge just to come to this and just be a. Uh, a robot Ugh. right just, yeah. I, don't, I don't like it at all um it's just lifeless you know there's nothing really else to say to that other than what happened to you what hurt you between four and this <laughs> tour you're just dead inside yeah it is and you know uh, oh to you know not to put the cart before the horse but the fact that we're going to be talking about infinite darkness which is you know not on this level but yeah. it really set a bad precedent for the cgi films because damnation it we get this Leon again. So it, now it's a bit up and down, but it, I don't know. It's, yeah, there's not much to talk about here because there's not much given. I don't know. I don't think it was Paul Mercier's intention. This can't be, this must be like a oh. voice. I believe this must be a voice direction thing. And I think Steve, you're perhaps right, is that whoever was in charge of this thought that that's what was cool. You know, this sort of short, just completely lifeless, uh, gritted And children teeth. drops. At this point in, in production time. I know it's not the same franchise, but I like Cloud suffers from a similar thing in that film where they're yeah. a quite miserable sort. Mm. That's right, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he does kind of have the fringe as well, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, 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 in Leon's defense in Degeneration, there, there are some admittedly absurd but fantastic action set pieces which set him as a quote unquote super badass, mm. but that's literally all he's got. Like, he's got a few action flashy moves and parkour, and then the personality of a plank of wood. Right. Um, yeah. There, I mean, if I, I'm going to say my one good point about this film in terms of Leon is there's the scene, uh, I think it's sort of around coming up to about the f end of the first half, where he's talking to Claire about Raccoon City, um, 
and he just puts it out and <laughs> almost to the strength of just how flat the script is and how uncomplicated and as simple as it is but it actually kind of works his mission statement is delivered uh no better than here when he literally says um, since raccoon city it's my mission to stop the spread of what he well he says that virus but obviously at this point we're starting to get into the black market territory and everything sort of exploding from here but i think that says it all about what Leon's intentions are more than anything else. It's my mission to stop the spread of that virus. I thought, you know, that's that's accurate. That is appropriate for where he is uh, post RE4 and where we go from here with Damnation and stuff. It sets up the rest of appearances from him quite well. But beyond that, I don't have anything else on Degeneration. JJ, any final thoughts? I just, I really don't think it was at fault of Paul Mercier. He's a, he has a fantastic style to the Leon that he's made, and he's great at it. And again, I think this was more of a directive thing. I really have nothing else to add other than maybe Leon was a B-O-W. And no, I'm just kidding. But no, I have nothing else to add to this. Six years have passed since that horrendous incident. The events of Raccoon City forever changed my life for the worse. I find myself picking up the pieces along the way in the hopes that I can one day rid the world from the threat of bio-organic terror. There will always be a part of me that thinks I could have done more for Raccoon City and the people who once lived there during that night of unspeakable horror. There will always be a part of me that thinks there could have been more people that I left behind in that town. They could have used my help to get out of there alive just as Claire Redfield and Sherry Birkin did. But since the remains of that town are all pretty much burned to ashes, there's no use in beating myself up over the lives that were probably past the point of saving in the first place. I should be thankful that I was able to make it out alive and save the few people I could while I was there during that nightmare. Although it seems that the memory of Raccoon City will never truly let me go. Since that fateful summer back in 1998... I've been having the worst nightmares each night. There's even a few that reoccur every few days. In the dream, it always starts off with me waking up on this ghostly-looking airship, taking me to an unknown location on autopilot before it comes to a sudden stop over a rainy dock by the ocean. This giant airship, which actually looks more like an old zeppelin from times of war, is always caught in a violent storm. Rain, whipping winds, thunder and lightning. As I make my way down the ship and out onto the dock, I see in the distance a vast mountain path, and at the top sits a gothic castle. It looks like something out of a classic monster movie. But it's when I make my way up the mountain and into the castle that things get even stranger. One instance I've dreamed of at that point is of being attacked by a giant mass of black swirling shadows and as I take out my handgun to shoot at it, the bullets go right through it. Before it's too late, the shadowy monster swarms all around me, infecting me with its darkness. I wake up with a shooting pain in my arms. Sometimes the swirling shadows don't come, and I find myself wandering the halls of the castle. It feels like an ancient mansion with suits of armor and a wood-burning fireplace alongside a mysterious dining room table set for no one at all. It's in this sequence that I come across murderous toy dolls that maniacally laugh at me as they try to stab me with knives. 
or I encounter something far more sinister in the form of a ghostly man of black shadows carrying a sharp hook on a chain. Once again, I always seem to have a handgun in this dream, but the bullets seem to fire blanks and my gunfire does nothing in the way of destroying these monsters of my mind. In both dreams, I hear the words umbrella and blue millennium. I don't know what it means, but the choice in words leaves me stunned nonetheless. I know all of this is just my own fears and doubts manifesting themselves as vivid dreams, but the paranoia in me feels that somehow there is an element of truth to it too. There could still be facilities all over the place from Umbrella that were left unchecked, remain abandoned, and possibly harbor prototype viruses made before their company would completely bankrupt. It's a thought that my mind shudders to think about. One thing's for sure. Umbrella secrets go deep. The current mission I'm tasked with is one of national security, one of the highest priority of the president himself. According to intel that I've received from my informants, a few days ago, President Graham's daughter, Ashley Graham, was violently abducted by a mystery assailant and taken to an unknown location thought to be in a rural part of Europe. The Umbrella Corporation was the devil I knew. In this case, though, I was going in completely blind. My only hope is that whoever they are, I hope they're not in any way tied to them. Umbrella has done enough damage to this world and my own sanity. Let's let's perhaps, hopefully, uh, get a bit more positive with Infinite Darkness, which takes place a year later. Um, I'm sure we've all talked about this uh, length this year. We certainly released an episode, and I'm sure uh, the guys over at Row covered it as well. Um, so this is Nick coming back for a second appearance as Leon. Again, um, I don't think there was concerns about it, but there was a, definitely a lot of interest to see how he would play Leon at this point in his career, jumping from 98 to where we're at now, 2006. I think this is where it takes place. Um, Post-RE4 and stuff like that, it, there was definitely some interest for what Leon's portrayal was going to be. Um, Steve, I think you said it best on our podcast of Infinite Darkness for me when you said it's like Leon in a blender. Uh, you've got the justice and the duty that you expect. You've got some of the jokes from RE4 sprinkled in there, but he's becoming a little more stern and tough that you would expect to see from, you know, the hindsight of the fact that we've got stuff like Damnation and RE6 after this, we already know. So, kind of in the way that Darkseid Chronicles fits nicely in between those portrayals and as, as a sort of bridge, I think Infinite Darkness, ignoring Degeneration... Uh, works really well between RE4 and Damnation, where he's starting to get just a little bit jaded. But the the sort of one-liners and gags are there. Um, JJ, how did you feel about uh, Leon's character in Infinite Darkness? I feel like this is a perfect complementary to where Leon would be after the events of the Resident Evil 2 remake. It's not as jarring as the difference between 2 and 4. It's, of course. It's, like yeah. you said, it, it's, it's definitely a blender of the character. It's showing, you know, Nick's performance and taking in... Um, Leon's personality from Resident Evil 4, but while taking his personality that he added to Leon in Resident Evil 2, it is the perfect blend of that to where he has his one lines, he is getting cockier and more hardened, but it's just a much better bridge, I think personally, and yes, far superior to what we've seen in, in Degeneration. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's not as jarring as 
two going to four it's it's a, it's it's a really well balanced leon and i think that him um you know mixing those two leons i think he really did a great job um kind of how would i say it um he did a really good job putting them together i think and mm. and showing us what that version of leon would be with him now fronting leon in this infinite darkness yeah i was very excited to see uh nick get the opportunity to do an original entry in the series, you know, not just tackle a remake, but something brand new and sink his teeth into that way. For me, it's great. It totally works. He makes a great Leon, of course. And aside from just, you know, adding in the RE4 and the stuff sort of playing off the stuff that's to come, uh, you also, it was cool to see him sort of add some, well, for, for lack of a better word, like trauma from, R, from RE2 in there. Obviously, there's that scene between him and Jason, uh, JJ's lookalike, um, <laughs> where they're talking about own. right where they're talking, unofficial sorry yeah no that's exactly it i fully believe that by the way <laughs> um yeah where they're talking about their past experiences with you know um warfare and bioorganic warfare in leon's case and stuff like that and how that's quietly affected him uh inside and stuff like that that was cool to see leon get to play this post-incident leon where that effect, how that's affected him. Uh, Steve, obviously I quoted you uh, from Infinite Darkness, so I've probably taken the sort of window out of your sail here, but how do you feel about Leon's portrayal? Have you gone back and watched it since? Uh, I did in preparation for this. I, I still okay. think he's okay. You know, I think as a, a blending of the various Leons, as you rightly said, I, I think it works. I, I still look forward to seeing Nick reprise the role again, be it in a uh, RE4 remake or something else. You know, I, I, I think they did a fantastic job with what they had. Uh, and in fact, some of the best scenes in this show for me feature Leon. Unsurprisingly, as he is the main character, you'd think this would be a thing. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but they're like the quieter scenes where Leon is more... I don't know. It's not all combat. Like where, where he's facing off against Jason in the the small burned down house or whatever in China, and then it leads to the world's briefest quick shootout. I, I love the tension in that scene, but Leon's not really speaking much there. And, you know, um, and the fact that at the end of the day he's torn between basically doing what's right by his friend Claire or doing what's done right by his bosses and his country at the end. And that confrontation, I thought, was a fantastic way to end it, because we don't see Resident Evil characters have much friction and then it stays left unresolved. Yes. Yeah? Um, yeah Chris and Leon are, you know, I won't say they're besties by the end of RE6, but they're clearly on reasonable terms. Uh, you know, get the hell out of there, warning about the missile, he's not trying to get him killed or anything. Whereas, you know, I could see Claire and Leon never speaking again after this. Mm, yeah. Uh, and I thought that was good. We did. I thought that was... We didn't talk about it enough, really, on the Infinite Darkness podcast, for my taste, but that final scene with Leon and Claire is incredibly intriguing when you consider that we don't have another appearance from them. Um, mm. Out of all the things... Let's... Out of all the things you could have predicted from Infinite Darkness, that wouldn't be it. And it certainly helps that... We're not really here to, to dissect Infinite Darkness again, but at least on our side of the fence, we were a little bit unhappy with the fact that it was pretty by the numbers, uh, weren't we? You know, it was kind of like degeneration sort of over again. It, it, there, there wasn't too much to it in terms of a story. It didn't really add too much. But that final scene uh, came out of nowhere. Uh, and I agree, that's such an intriguing interaction because him and Leon don't get a whole lot of screen time together um, in this 
so to have that be their major scene of the series and then walking off in different directions with completely different mindsets is is really interesting. I just hope it's something that we get to return to at some point at least. Um, JJ, how do you feel about Leon's interactions with the rest of the cast of Infinite Darkness? I, I, I really enjoyed it. I think, I well, for the most part, not... Not entirely. I feel like uh, Nick did a really good job as this more hardened Leon from the Resident Evil 2 remake Leon we have gotten. Uh, I feel like pretty much all of the interaction he has here is fantastic. I love that heart-to-heart with Jason about the trauma they've been through. Um, It just really adds a deeper level to Leon's character Mm. and shows that, you know, the events that have happened before leading to where he is today. And this is no fault to Nick. No fault at all to Nick. It's clearly the writing, the writing of this game. My my least least favorite part of the series is his interaction with Claire. Uh, it just seems so almost disrespectful to the the companionship they've they've had in previous games. You know where they work together to survive. Uh, Leon thinks of Claire as an equal, and in this movie, he treats her like a younger, annoying sister or somebody to push off to the side. And then at the very end, he makes a pass at her, which is, I don't I don't understand that completely. Again, no fault to Nick. But other than that, that interaction between those two, they do have a moment where they work together, which is very cool. Uh, but other than that, I feel like his interaction with everybody else really fits the character well and, and just adds a little deeper level to the character yeah that's fair you know as as much as we like the sort of severing of those two characters at the end with their different ideals you're completely right about him sort of almost babying her at the beginning um and and the and the pass as you just said is a is a bit weird um that's did kind of come out of nowhere i'm sure the shippers were very happy about that but nonetheless um (laughs) yeah yeah you know I, i tend to agree um Again, not to necessarily wade into infinite darkness, but some of his interactions with the characters there, um, sort of in the second half of it, were just meh. You know, I wasn't really interested in... What's her name? Shen, Shen Mei? Was that it? I wasn't really... Mei, yeah. I, yeah. I didn't feel anything between them particularly interesting. Um, and that's about... He was just kind of bouncing around, so I didn't feel like he had... Beyond that stuff early with Jason, uh, beyond that... He didn't really get too much of a chance to really have much of a, I don't know what to describe it, a character off with people, you know, really sort of clash some personalities together or push some personalities together. Because once you get halfway through that show, it just starts pinballing around. Uh, so it's nice that it gets an end point. In terms of performance, I was happy. In terms of, you know, actor choice, I was happy. Uh it's fine, I think, is my general. <laughs> it's you know, it, it's decent. It's it could have been a hell of a lot worse. Yeah, I think that was my review of it too. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it was it was fine. That you know, nothing amazing and nothing terrible. It's fine. All right. Well, uh, Steve, any more thoughts on ID before we move on? Yeah, it, it, to sum up my thoughts on ID is uh, it's walking into a minefield, really, because it's for everything I like about it, there's things I don't. Mm. But overall, Leon is uh, consistent with the Leon that came before, except for, like, you know, portrayals with Claire and, again, the severing of the... I, I still see it as it's an easy way to say why Leon is not even remotely present in Revelations 2 to help Claire out. You know, they've had yeah. a rift build from this whole situation. Um, and that that's a good thing for me. I like characters coming into conflict. Mm. And uh, otherwise, 
it's adequate. <laughs> okay. Well, um, let's move along then to the second CGI film, uh, where I may feel slightly different about this one. Resident Evil Damnation, which again, I think, I believe takes a year after takes place a year after Infinite Darkness. Um, the first appearance of Matt Mercer in the role of Leon. Same year as Resident Evil 6 is released, but earlier in the year. So, I, you know, I don't know what he recorded first, but this came out first, at least. Um, and this is Leon's interactions in the Eastern Slav Republic. Um, before I sort of get into my opinion, I'm going to throw it to you guys. Uh, JJ, how do you feel about Leon in Resident Evil Damnation? Okay, so I, I, I'm going to give my thoughts on it when I first seen it. And honestly, I really really enjoyed leon's performance in in this this movie and i don't know if i enjoy it more than what it deserves for the fact that we are coming off a degeneration and i was so happy to see character (laughs) added to leon especially it was a character that i felt like fit the character well as to where he was yes he has a lot of trauma he's been through a lot but he has personality he had more more to him than we've seen in degeneration and i think that just made me happy to the point where i liked it you know more so than maybe it deserves, but it's it's been a little bit since I watched that one. So overall, I enjoyed it, and it was definitely a step forward from Damnation. Yeah, I mean that's that's fair. I can't disagree or, with that. Sorry, a step forward from Degeneration. My bad. Yeah. No, it's. I mean that's true. I certainly that. I mean yeah, that is a that is a factual statement. I don't think it's much better. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Uh, the thing about well, we haven't really waded into the CGI films, we haven't really given them their time in the sun yet. But Damnation, I always felt like it was more focused on the new characters, and Leon's just kind of there. <laughs> like anyone could be in this role. I think that's my main problem. I get you know they picked Leon. Leon is hyper popular, and you know especially in Japan, I think he's come up on polls as the most popular Resident Evil character for Japanese uh, the Japanese audience. But nothing about this story has improved in any way with it being Leon. When we talked about Ada earlier this year, um, it, this is the most inconsequential appearance for her. Uh, and thus, you could take her out and you could swap anyone in for Leon. It, it, I don't think it would have made a difference who was playing, who was in this role, because... He's just the chiseled five o'clock shadow action hero of generic proportions in this. Almost almost as dull as Degeneration. Not quite, but I, I really couldn't give a monkey's. The, the only time Damnation particularly gets interesting for me is sort of the last third where all the tyrants pop out and all the cool stuff happens. But that's got nothing <laughs> yeah. to do with Leon's character. So, uh, Steve, thoughts on Leon's character or perhaps lack thereof in uh, Damnation? feels like they borrowed a lot from like the jason bourne films uh, in particular or something like that maybe james bond but with for some reason we're in you know the eastern slav republic and bioweapons instead of you know spies and all that gadget nonsense uh he does feel like a spare part i actually mm. do like i had i wanted to be on holiday why he dragged me out here you know as a general character conceit that he just doesn't want to be here and his character arc is he goes from not giving a damn to giving a little bit of a damn <laughs> you know so that's okay. And the the only really standout moment for me is the fact that he could have just shot Buddy and killed him, you know, as he's turning into this plague of monster thing. But no, he just mm. he severs his spine and cripples him, but also saves his life so he can do something useful. 
Uh, other than that, it's it could have been anyone, couldn't it? It could have been Chris. It could have been Ark Thompson. It could have been Billy Cohen, <laughs> and it wouldn't have mattered. Not really. Which is harsh mm. because. It's Leon. It's our boy. He's the centre focus of this podcast, for God's sake, and it doesn't feel yeah. like he's really even that much of a focus in Damnation, despite being on the front cover. Yes. Um, it's funny that... Um, he's that, just a Spec Ops guy. Right, exactly that. You know, it could have been a brand new character if you really wanted it. Obviously, that's definitely not the way that you want to go with it. I think <laughs> it's funny because when we did RE... I think it must have been when we talked about RE4, um, Adam said that RE4 might even benefit from swapping out Leon and putting Billy Cohen in and instead of Leon. And then obviously, when they're making Infinite Darkness, it comes out that they thought about putting Leon in that role instead, uh, Billy in, in Leon's place in that. Uh, but Billy would be a great fit for this. It just seems to be, we, we just seem to be obsessed with <laughs> swapping Leon out for Billy. That would be interesting because it's, hey, at least it's a character we've never seen before. But by this point, Leon's been in a lot of stuff. So he's got a lot of appearances to contend with. I would be hard-pressed to find someone I think that this is their favourite Leon performance. But uh, JJ, how do you feel about Leon's interactions with Buddy and company? Yeah, you know, again, now going after listening to you guys talk about it, maybe I'm giving this role too much credit. I'm literally going off of my thoughts first seeing it after right, of after course. the original. Yeah, and, and I was just happy that he had more character. But, you know, what you're saying is true. I do got to watch it again. Um, but no, I, I, I remember liking the interaction he had with the other characters. Yeah, it was a bit cheesy, I guess, some of, some of the characters in this. But again, you know, Resident Evil, the original games had their cheese, and I did enjoy that. But I just remember having a fun time with this movie and their performance and the characters in it. Uh, I remember, you know, enjoying seeing a lot of this stuff. And maybe it was just seeing Ada and Leon together that made me like it. But um, I remember enjoying it, but I guess... I do have to go back and watch that and, and, and really kind of see how it, it, it holds up. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Steve, any uh, more thoughts on sort of interactions with Buddy and company as I've apparently decided to dub it? Mostly because I can't remember. I can't remember uh, the other characters' names. That's probably why. <laughs> see, that's the yeah. thing. It's, it, Leon doesn't really give away much. He's just like, you know, at first captured Spec Ops dude and then sort of converted, sort of not to their side. Uh, and JD is more of a foil against that stoic that stoicism. Mm. I think it's not as bad in degeneration as it was. Uh, I, I I think everybody in the room would like to have seen Leon and Ada share a bit more screen time, in sure. where they actually talk a bit more and less shooty shooty move on, uh, which is fine. You know, it's you know if degeneration is a D, this is a C. Yeah, it's 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 a little better, but it's not a lot better. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I think now, yeah, when you brought up JD, I think some of those scenes are kind of fun, I suppose. Uh, but Leon playing sort of like the straight man in that role with JD's sort of wackiness is, I don't know, it just seems a bit out of place for me, <laughs> considering you know. Again, maybe it's just the holdover from Mari Four, where it's like we had a little bit of personality in that. It's all, it's all melting away very fast. It, it, especially if you're taking out Infinite Darkness, which hadn't released at this point. Uh, we just had Dgen and Damnation, and yeah, he's just kind of ultimately completely stoic and not all that interesting in it. So let's move on to the other 2012 release. It's probably quite a lot to say about this one. 
So in 2013, uh, Adam Benford informed Leon of his desire to reveal to the world the full truth behind the US government's involvement in the Raccoon City incident. He believed that by publicly admitting the part they played and the mistakes committed, it would convince others to do the same and unite nations together to combat bioterrorism. Initially, Leon was hesitant but trusted Benford implicitly and stood by his side. Unbeknownst to Leon and Benford, national security advisor and leader of the family, Derek Simmons, took drastic steps to ensure this speech would never be heard. Simmons believed revealing the truth about the government's collusion with Umbrella would only result in catastrophic distrust in the US and destabilise global security. The family orchestrated a bioterror attack on Tall Oaks, which killed Adam Benford and infected the entire area with the C-virus. Leon came across Benford's zombified corpse and was forced to put him out of his misery, and thus we have stepped into... Resident Evil 6 uh, and every time I forget how weird Resident Evil 6 is I then remember it starts with Leon shooting the zombie president <laughs> yeah <laughs> which uh, you know that's a thing that starts the game basically um, okay so you know we've got Leon we've got a new character Helena Harper to act off of we've got um, Adam Bedford who would obviously sort of be retroactively added into the law and Simmons. So there's a fair amount of new pieces to talk about with this one. Um, Steve, how did you feel about Leon's portrayal in RE6? We didn't really talk about Matt Mercer's work in Damnation. Um, so I suppose... No, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, initial impressions, by the way, young Steve playing RE6 for the first time. Why is Leon hesitating in front of a zombie? It doesn't matter who it is. But, you know, we, we've, we get past that as we get older. Um, overall, I I actually enjoy it. I think the, it, there's a there's an edginess to Leon as he's now kind of been cut off by his paymasters and he's sort of working against the government but trying to you know circle it back round to catch them. Uh, and initially, he's like a detective trying to piece the key, you know, piece the pieces together and trying to figure out if he can trust Helena. And I really mm. like that. Mm. And then he goes from being that to a uh, kind of like a hard boiled cop who's trying to get their their man, which is Simmons. Obviously, the you know, secret agent going to China, shooting all these zombies and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But as, a, as an actual personality, he comes across more like a cop than he did in, in RE4 at all. Like, I know he never was a detective. You know, he was, he was meant to be like a, a SWAT guy or something, right? But there's more policeman in him than secret agent in this one. And I like that a lot about it. That's a really good point. I hadn't even really considered that. But you're very... That's very astute that... Uh, yeah, it does almost feel... Detective-y, cop-like, uh, that kind of thing. Um, I hadn't even considered that, but you're you're totally right. And also, Leon's sort of... And he's never really been uh, an outwardly emotional character, but having seen him sort of calmly act off of some hot-headed characters like Helena and Chris, obviously that scene with Leon and Chris is pretty much used to sell the game. Um, yeah. And it's a great scene. Like, I really like calm leon who's got a bit more information about what's going on because steve as you said he's sort of figuring things out he's doing the detective thing uh, playing off of chris's rage uh, and his very um accurate to his character sort of nature of rushing into things he's got some really cool scenes i think his character in this is definitely different but it's it, it feels a lot more like leon than most certainly the first two CGI films. Uh, JJ, how do you feel about Leon Leon's portrayal in RE6? Okay, so while I have many 
complaints of Resident Evil 6. That's not necessarily what we're here to talk with. Sure. One thing I do say to this day, a very strong point for that game is the characters. Their acting is is fantastic. Um, but just the characters, their their stories through this game is mm. incredible. And honestly, I think this is one of the strongest portrayals of Leon Kennedy. And it's exactly where I would picture that young rookie cop from the original game, where he would be today with the line of work he is in. Yes, and I agree. Very much a lot of detective work. You know, at the very beginning of, of the game, he is shooting the president, which I felt was a very... Um, intense sort of way to start the game like sure. holy crap you know we we know leon his his job has always been to to protect the president and obviously it's not the same president that is in resident evil 4 but now he is shooting him in the head and it looks like he just killed the president so at the very beginning of the game you have to prove yourself as why you did it you know what i mean and you're uncovering this mystery throughout the game and again say what you will about the game itself i i really enjoyed leon's portrayal in this game Yes, I think, again, this is sort of what we were saying about the remakes. It's just a Capcom quality thing at a certain point. Um, characterization just... and Maybe it started with RE... I think perhaps from RE5 onwards, I've got really not a lot of complaints about characterization and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, they did a fantastic job with it. Whatever you think of various aspects of RE6, maybe even its plot, but its characterization is... Is pretty strong indeed. How do we feel about um, his interactions with others? Because there's a lot of characters going on here. Um, many people, including myself, always had the belief that Helena Harper should have been Angela Miller. But there you go, from from Degeneration, that would have been nice. But yeah. you know, um, it their partnership. We'll say that. Go we'll on. say that. None of us mentioned Angela at all when we were talking about Degeneration. Yeah. And their interaction it's with Leon. I you know? mean, I get. Yeah, I guess that's true. They share a voice actress, which is nice. Yeah, but... yeah I guess that's true. But um, you know, I just maybe it's just, I like little connections like that would be would be would be nice. Whatever the case, I think that out of all of the partnerships from the game, perhaps we should start here. Uh, Sherry and Jake, uh, Chris and Piers, Leon and Helena are probably the weakest. Does that necessarily make it a weak partnership? Steve, what do you think about their sort of pairing? It's the weird one, right? Because they have the most to lose because Leon doesn't trust Hannah at the start and they have to go through this journey together to get the evidence and then, they, uh, then they're both, you know, they're both cut loose and have to fight against Simmons. So technically, they should have the most interesting one, but I'd say Sherry and Jake's juxtaposition mm. followed by Pierce trying to get Chris to sort his head out. It's uh, a more compelling take. Yeah, large. That being said, oh, go on. Okay. That being said, I, I feel like it has the most room to grow. They just don't get chance to. And the, the, the best scenes with Leon are when he's interacting with the other pairs, with like Sherry and with Chris. Mm. Yes, I agree with that. I think it is. It's tough to say whether it is outright weak or just weak by comparison. I think it's it's adequate. It's fine. Um, the idea of these two sort of been thrust together and forced to deal with it because at the beginning of the game um, they don't know well I think I guess Helena knows Leon but he has no idea what's going on that's quite an interesting take and it works but it's definitely overshadowed by the others JJ how do you rank the sort of like three relationships of these duos of playable characters is Leon and Helena at the bottom for you well okay so one thing I want to say before I get into ranking them is um 
Leon is more of a person, a real person in this game. You know, if you're comparing him to 4 where he's more of a character, which mm. for that game it fits very well. But he's more of a real person in this. And I think that's what lends to the, you know, the very epic moments we get to see uh, in this game. Some, some very strong highlights. I do think that I enjoyed... Personally, my favorite is Chris and Piers' story. I feel like the arc there is the best. Yeah. Going back and just watching the cutscenes, it feels like you're watching a movie. Um, I also feel like, you know, Jake and Sherry was incredibly strong. You know, uh, Sherry is her first time seeing her back. And and Jake, you know, the son of Wesker, it, it was so cool to see. Um, and I think out of the three, yes, Leon and Helena's is probably the weakest. But that is, again... Um, I think that it was still. I really enjoyed it. I like Helena as a a um, a companion character. I, I felt like their their dialogue together was great, but you know, it, it's really outshined by the moments of Leon finally seeing Sherry after so many years. Mm -hmm. Leon finally meet. And correct me if I'm wrong. This is the first time Leon and Chris meet in person. Uh, and in terms of on screen, it's the first time that we see it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, on screen, and just to. To see them, uh, you know, like you said, Leon is more calm and, and collective, a secret agent with the moves, and Chris is just a powerhouse coming in. And it's just so cool to see them, um, you know, meet each other and be like, oh, wait, we're both, you know, you don't kill Ada, there's something else going on here. And just to see them work together, but also, like, disagree, I just felt like there was a lot of moments in here that were highlights of the series uh, as far as Leon's interaction with other characters. Um, and again, my least favorite of the three, but still very well told. And Leon, like I said, feeling more like a real person really helped uh, elevate these these interactions with these other characters. Mm -hmm. That's fair. I think we are, we're pretty much all in agreement with that one. And you're, and you're right about him being more like a person and less like a character. It's a great way to put it. Um, you know, from a distance, if you, well, especially if you were to compare it to RE4, but in general, I think it's easy to say that he doesn't show a ton of emotion in this one. But when you actually watch it and study it sort of in the context of everything, um, it works really well. Matt Mercer's performance, I think he makes a, a really good Leon in general. Um, uh, Damnation would be... Is a struggle, it would be bad but... not to say this, but you know, we, we say he doesn't show much emotion. He literally does do a sacrifice leap to try and save Ada from being murdered by Simmons. And uh, yeah, I, I, think I think it amps up that as it seals goes. the ship thing, doesn't it? Like, there is more, I'll say there's more romance from both sides, despite the fact they don't do like any kissing or all like that in this mm. film, a film game. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, and I especially love the little pawing shot where she's sending him a message and then just buggering off into the flames. Yeah. Um, but that sacrifice leap says a lot about his character. That you know, anything could be going on. But if Aid is in trouble, I'm going to throw myself straight at the problem and hope for the best. Right, and also particularly what I love about that is um, where you start the game to that point. I actually really like um, that Leon. So you're in the university is a particular thing that comes out to me, and you get that father and daughter that you come across uh, before it goes horribly wrong. What I like is you get Leon still trying to save people where he can. And then when he knows it's too late, calmly dispatching them and just getting on with it, which obviously years of experience of dealing with this kind of thing. But it's nice to see him at least trying to make uh, a difference and then, yeah, you know, firing when it when it's, you know, ask questions and then shoot later, maybe kind of situation. And it's it doesn't go so far as damnation where it, it, he almost comes off as kind of miserable. Um there's that sort of kind-hearted, do-what's-right thing that we were talking about right at the beginning in there. So 
identifiably Leon. Um, it's a strong one. It's certainly a strong one. As I said, I think Matt Mace, uh, Mercer makes a really good Leon, um, and this is where he really gets the chance to shine at it compared to Damnation. Completely agree. Okay, cool. Any more thoughts on RE6, JJ, as particular uh, Leon's portrayal and interactions? No, nothing that I think I think I, I, I said my, my thoughts on it. I, I'm pretty, pretty sure I covered everything that I think about Leon in Resident Evil 6. Cool. Steve, any more? Uh, yeah, other than that stuff about Ada, I mean, could you argue he's the most ancillary or the most integral? You know, the RE6's campaigns are kind of interchangeable as to who's the main character because obviously there's three, four campaigns. Uh, Leon's is, it depends what you want out of it. And I think that's uh, a testament to that minefield of a controversial topic that is RE6. Sure. Uh, and I, But as a character, Leon is very much the Leon we know. Mm, and yeah. I think that that, that deserves a, a lot of bonus points because you know, no no offense to degeneration and damnation, but you have kind of you've gone a bit far off the beaten track in comparison. And also, now that you mention it, degenerate <laughs> <laughs> degeneration and damnation runtime is what like an hour and a half each, probably some maybe you know one hour forty five. Re six is so convoluted with all these different characters and storylines that weave together, and they still manage to write everyone i think everyone well really at least to some standard but particularly like the integral cast how can that be like i'm sure obviously i'm they're different staff and re6 was the focus but it's very drastically different isn't it yeah all right so let's roll on to the final canonical appearance of leon up to this point uh, last little bit of lore. In late 2013, Leon supervised an operation to arrest a leading senator named Stephen Eyre, who was confirmed to be selling classified secrets to bioterror organizations. But before they could make the arrest, Eyre was forewarned, and instead, three DSO agents were killed after a bomb was planted in their SUV. <laughs> But before they could make the arrest, Air was forewarned and instead three DSO agents were killed after a bomb was planted in their SUV. Leon was not in the vehicle at the time and was the only survivor. The next day he visited the morgue where the bodies of his team were kept. There he began to get depressed and began reflecting on the kind of person he wanted to be when he grew up. When one of the bodies began to reanimate through viral infection, Leon shot it dead. He requested an extended leave of absence and checked himself into a rural retreat in the Canadian Rockies where he would remain for over four months. He became totally disillusioned with his life and the seemingly never-ending fight against bioterrorism. He was convinced he was stuck in an endless loop. So quite a dark turn to bring us up to Resident Evil Vendetta where, of course, uh, we get Chris and Leon again this time, uh, joined by Rebecca... Uh, Chris and Rebecca seeking out Leon for some extra intel and they find him drinking in a bar. So on the table, let's go straight out there that I've always had sort of issues that Vendetta's story with Leon pretty much mirrors some of that we just had from RE6 Chris uh, when he gets amnesia and he becomes a sort of like sad drunkard and we have to build him back up a little bit and bring him back round into the fight. It's a shame that we go through a very similar thing with Leon here. Uh, but what I will say is, when you again, when you put all these things in a, in a list, it does make sense. You know, we've seen wide-eyed, wet-behind-the-ears Leon um, sort of involved in bioterrorism over the last... 20 years or so um, and at this point it's really starting to affect him so we have at least to some degree 
quite a different Leon by this point. Steve, what are your thoughts on Leon in Vendetta? I, th- this is a this is a bit of a minefield because Vendetta itself is unsurprisingly a bit of a mess as well. Mm. Uh, but I actually do like Matt Mercer's take on Leon. I would argue his trauma is slightly different from Chris's. Sure. In that, yes, he lost his team, but he doesn't have the privilege of say amnesia and uh, you know forgetting it and then getting emboldened with rage. He's just generally bloody sad mm. and uh, worn out, and, which is fine. You know, he's been through literal hell to get to this point. And seen him at the end of a bottle, and the only reason he's motivated is from the person who set him up. Well, one of the people who set him up, giving them a phone call from their family, as they've just died to save his life. So he's kind of like motivated to help in the strangest possible way, and I don't think he really gets over it. You know, mm. if uh, completely out of left field, but if, if Leon were to take a villain turn at the end of this film, I could see why, you know, the, the way they're portrayed. The, the, there's a certain... Uh, darkness to them you know aside from murdering a highway for two dogs right uh, which is just over the top action um but there's this there's, there's something about the way they speak and the disillusionment you know uh, it, it makes me wonder and worry for him he's definitely like yeah, they talk about the drone strike on the wedding and obviously with glenn Arius attacking the living daylights out of the united states you kind of know who who ordered the drone strike um so mm. he might be disillusioned with his government and yes. that's an interesting take for his character. Uh, again, you know, Leon with the diversive stuff, if they go with it, they might not. Mm. It does make you wonder, doesn't it? Because obviously this film is now about four years old or so, uh, and this is the most recent appearance. So in a way, it is a sour note to kind of end things on, but it could also potentially be an interesting, intriguing thing. And we do seem to be getting some um, a series of entries that kind of starting to pick away at the US government's involvement and everything and kind of say, hey, these guys have been villains this entire time. Which if you sort of bury yourself in the law, you know some of the awful stuff that they've been up to in the Resident Evil universe. But Leon, as you said, like explicitly essentially calls it out when he says, who's the bad guy? Um, Is it the guy getting revenge? Or is it the guy who had who dropped the bomb on this dude's wedding? It's it's, it's interesting. I... Of course, we have to touch on the fact that he's relentlessly murdering people on a highway, which is mm-hmm. very weird. I suppose there's more issues to do with the film than anything. JJ, how do you feel about Leon in Vendetta? While it raises some interesting topics, um, some interesting um, things that the character is going through, I have to say that this is personally one of my least least favorite interpretations of Leon Kennedy. Right. And I say that because a lot of this feels out of character. Um, his regard for others seems to be set to the side for the sake of action. And it's at no fault to Matt and his performance as Leon. I feel like he did a good job. And to, you know, the fact that, yes, Leon has been a lot uh, through a lot and I personally also could see him going down this road. It makes sense. It just Leon as a character, I think, stands for more. Whereas mm. Chris had gone through this in Resident Evil Six, and you know, obviously, we got to see why he was going through this. Um, he's been through a lot, and it, to me personally, it fit his character, but it just didn't fit for Leon. It's like that at the heart of Leon, he's good. He wants to do the right thing, whereas he has always been a bit naive. To what the right thing is he felt like his heart was in the right place where this movie uh, i don't know i just don't see that in his character 
and again, you know, it, it, a lot of it was disregarded for the sake of action. But that's my my personal thoughts on Leon in this movie. Yeah, infuriates me every time he's on a motorbike in this film, which is strange because yes. I love motorbikes. But every time Leon's on a motorbike, you know he's going to do something either irrational, stupid, or just violent for the sake of violent. Yeah. Uh, uh, like you know the highway scene uh, that upsets a lot of people which is you know I can get it you don't blow up an entire highway for two zombie dogs do you no yeah. and it's, then he's... it's so out of character and it's so out of step with everything else that the series has done beforehand like you can very easily it's very easy let's say RE6 in particular to just point and go it's just a big dumb action game Okay, that might be true to some extent, but it never went this far where it's, you know, utter nonsense, disregard. Merciless innocence, yeah. Mm, Absolutely. And and, uh, Chris, in comparison to the same film, Chris doesn't do anything that extreme towards innocence. Obviously, yeah, these are infected people trying to bite him. You've got to put them down. Uh, But he's not riding a staircase with a motorcycle driving straight over them uh, and then launching it around. It's... Yeah, it's on the nose. If they want to put, like, Chris is good guy and then Leon is the bad guy, he doesn't play by the rules, but he's also on the side of good, it's uh, it's it's an odd juxtaposition, and I don't really care for it. Yeah. Agreed. Definitely agree. I... And to that... Oh, I'm sorry. Just no, no, go side. ahead. Go ahead, JJ. Uh, I just completely forgot, and what you just said com- reminded me, in Infinite Darkness too. there was a bit of moments there with a, a disregard that uh, really stood out. And I'm sorry to jump back to that, but it kind of goes in line with where it, the in the episode where the zombies are invading the White House, uh, Leon does a, a, a kills a bunch of them, and then he's like, asshole. And I just like, mm. really? You, you probably knew some of these people. You, you probably worked <laughs> with them. Yeah. And yeah, no, throwing it back to that, but yeah, kind of on the... Um, on onto vendetta where he just it doesn't he's i don't know he has disregard for others and that doesn't seem like leon to me yeah i guess it obviously depends on where you want this character to sort of be framed as like i i can get behind the idea of him being disillusioned by all this and the idea that it's going around an endless loop it's almost kind of like poking fun at the fact that you know Resident Evil has been doing similar things for a long time now. We get these lots of self-contained... Just looking at the films, right? Just these self-contained stories about uh, a new B.O.W. strain or a, a new bio, you know, bioterrorist and Leon having to deal with it. Um, it's not meant to be a commentary on that, but it's kind of funny in that way. But I get that and I can understand that and that makes sense to me. But um, perhaps if you're looking at Leon as sort of almost being the core of Leon of this, you know, this guy that's looking out for other people and more than anything, just a little bit of hope more than anything else. Um, in this, even when he comes back, as you guys said, when he comes back to the forefront of the action, that hope's not there. You know, the dis- the disregard and the violence kind of overrides the, the true Leon in this. It's a very, it's a very strange one. Yeah. How do we feel about Leon's interactions with others in this? Nothing really stands out too much to me. Um, it is bizarre, perhaps, to go from... I don't hate it outright, but it is bizarre to go from hothead Chris in RE6 and calm Leon to uh, sort of Chris trying to go the other way around and calm, sort of calmly pull Leon out before he snaps. Um, it's cool to see Leon and Rebecca together, and we talked about it when we talked about Rebecca uh, Rebecca put them both in their place but there's not a lot of whole beyond that I guess he doesn't really interact with too many other characters in this film Steve any thoughts 
Yeah, no, you're right. I don't think Leon even says anything to Rebecca outside of that scene. Most of his dialogue is shared with Chris, mm-hmm. where he basically is expl- he's expositionally ex- explaining various things like, this is how the virus works. This is what we should do. Right. Okay, what we're going to do, boss. And uh, that's it. Uh, which is a shame. Mm. It's a real shame because I think Matt Mercer did try. You can tell. Oh, totally. uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a distinct change in the way that they are portraying Leon, which is consistent in uh, the, the kind of portrayal he had in Six. It's just, you know, this is now Leon, but he's mega sad. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and, and that's it, you know? Uh, Chris is okay, actually. I think, uh, you know, d- complete side point, but Kevin Dorman is a slightly, uh, a bit geeky. In the way it comes across to me, but yeah. uh, upbeat yeah. Chris is is kind of cool uh, to juxtapose against the sad Leon man, mm. and uh, you know, and Rebecca. Until you know, Arius is mentioned, then Chris is a hothead as well. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, JJ, thoughts on uh, Leon's dialogue when it comes to dealing with others in this? Yeah, I, I guess dialogue. I really I don't have too much on. Um, it does kind of feel like you know, Chris and Leon, maybe. F- switched roles in this i don't know i, I it feel does like feel they kind of mark yeah for for both the characters but i do have to say that um since this is very action heavy it is cool to see chris and leon working together all the years of experience they have in this one moment where we get to see them chris <clears throat> using his brute force to just to just pile drive zombies while leon is like very <laughs> john wick style mm-hmm. again Super over-the-top action, but it, it is cool to see Chris and Leon work together. And I have to say, out of this entire movie, seeing Chris and Leon work together was probably a highlight. But again, one of my least favorite uh, interpretations of Leon. All right, that's that's fair. I can completely understand that. So that actually brings us neatly to the final point, I suppose, which is now we kind of need to reveal the scale here. Like, what is the worst... Leon appearance uh, and what is our favorites uh Steve what's at the bottom of the pile for you uh, is, is it going to be the generation oh god yeah it has to be it has to be you know it's nice that the plank from Ed Ed and Eddie gets work but <laughs> otherwise no yeah degeneration followed by Vendetta yeah um god it's hot I mean yeah Put them all in a big sack, you know. <laughs> they're all just, they're all just miserable, honestly. Yeah. Um, even if parts of the film are good, Leon's character in them is either dull or worse. Uh, JJ, what's right at the bottom for you? Completely agree. It, it, it goes degeneration then vendetta. Yeah, I, I have to say that I, I agree. Mm, that's Same fair. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, we're all in agreement there. Let's talk about the top, uh, which you know. Could be a similar situation. JJ, I'm going to throw to you first. Is this a difficult decision to make or is your mind already already set? My mind is made up. Mm -hmm. It's set. And I'm going to be completely honest. Nostalgia 100% plays into my decision. And that's just what it is. This is my decision. Uh, The original uh, Leon Kennedy portrayed by Paul Haddad, the performance that started it all, what he brought to the character, the hero I looked up to as a kid, um, that is my favorite interpretation of Leon. He's set who that character is, what he stood yes. for, and and really paved the way um, going forward. So that's my favorite Leon Kennedy. The writing is great. The design is great. Paul's performance is perfect. I, you know, I'd be hard-pressed to argue with that one. Steve, what's number one for you? 
Don't make me choose. No, I'm going to make you choose. <laughs> if I made uh, Hope choose, you get to have to no, choose. No, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it, it wouldn't be appropriate to pick anyone other than Paul Haddad, with good reason. They, they made the character their own. They set the foundation from which everything mm. else has come forth. And, you know, if anyone wants to play anything, like, you know, it's Quicksilver in uh, the the X-Men cartoon and so on, anything else with them in, you'll only hear Leon. Yeah. And then any character, you know, putting their own stamp on the character, you still kind of wonder how Paul Dad's take would have been. And for that, yeah, there's a legacy there that will never, never be tarnished. You know, cheesy, yes. Is it a bit silly at times? Yes. It's always endearing. And nostalgia is playing a massive factor, but much like JJ, Leon is, and well, was and is one of my heroes, especially the 98 era one. So, yeah, I like it. The part of me was still kind of gutted we didn't get him back for RE4. It's a great sadness, you know, with, with Paul Haddad passing away, but I'm glad that the community managed to get in touch with him and let him right. know how much he is appreciated because uh, that would have shattered my heart in two if that never happened. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, actually. Is I, I'd, I'd like... That's a nice, warm feeling, isn't it, that he got to have that sort of... In a way that a lot of the voice actors over the years have come forward and realised that they're you know something they did in the past that perhaps they didn't think too much about as beloved by all these people uh for paul to have that experience um is just wonderful um yeah just yeah, there's not much more you can say than that yeah i i agree that it would be really interesting to see what his take in re4 would be like i you know i'd love to hear that voice it sort of kicked up, you know, brightened up a bit. If we're doing crazy fun RE4, it'd be really interesting to see Paul Haddad's direction for that. Um, that being said, I think Paul Mercier did an incredible job with RE4. Um, you know, despite our complaints about the sudden change of character, what he was given to work with, uh, there's a reason that a lot of people will think of that voice first and a lot of the the lines and the delivery that he gave on those oh-so-cheesy lines. Uh, so that is a very... Even as someone who doesn't hold RE4 in quite the same regard as the general gaming masses, that's a very strong number two. Because number one, I, I completely agree with both of you. You know, nostalgia blinds me slightly, I'm sure. But the range yeah. in 1998 RE2, Leon, is astounding for the time. And just going back and like picking up new things that I love about it. Uh, endlessly, even to today. So yeah, always going to be my favourite. You know, my favourite Leon is always going to be naive, naive cop Leon. I like that we've moved away from that and grown the character, uh, but that will always be my personal favourite. Um, I guess one last question before we wrap, just real quick. Uh, JJ, as a as a yes. big Leon fan, what are your sort of what would be your hopes and let's say that you would allowed to write something for Leon vendetta like post vendetta so leon's next canonical experience any thoughts on how you'd like him reintroduced and where we're at oh man i have a lot of fan fiction in my head <laughs> um, you know it, it's 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 strange because as much as 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 um leon poof, is my favorite character to to how do i want to put this i feel as if the character started and is the story of Pat Chris Claire 
Jill, Leah. Like, there's so many characters and there's so many open ends to this. And I would just love to see that in their older age, they they come to realize that, you know, it's it's their last it's their last mission right this is they're getting older Mm. they want to continue fighting but they also have to understand that you know it's it's never how do i want to put it that they're getting older and it's becoming more difficult and to see these characters have their last hoorah and sort of set up then you know after post that game whatever that game would be to see them all come together, all the survivors that have battled through the years, you know, Barry, Chris, Jill, Leah, and Claire, to come together to form some organization that is ran by hmm. the, you know, these original members um, to continue fighting bioterrorism, but, you know, through politics and and through, you know, um, funding and, and, and charity, uh, to see their stories kind of go that way, obviously, that wouldn't be fun to see in a game uh but just as like a way to conclude these characters to send these characters off happy maybe maybe ada retires and leon and ada get married and have kids it sounds cheesy but come on that would be pretty nice to see a young young uh young kennedy there i don't know (laughs) i just i yeah i just think that if if they were to come together in another game they just work together you get to see that good side of leon trying to help uh, you know, with all the years of experience he's had since, mm. and and they wrap up with a really nice send off of a founding foundation or a foundation to co- continue competing e- because you know they're getting older. So I, don't know. I mean, I, I completely understand. I imagine a lot of people are with you in the sense that they want these characters to have a happy ending at some point and just get to retire. You know, whether or not Capcom would even go so far as to start pairing characters off and having them have families on screen. I I would highly doubt that, but at least give them sort of fans the opportunity to know that that possibility is out there. Uh, For me, I'm going to go a dark route here. (laughs) Oh, well. It's it's funny in particular that you mentioned Batman because it's a great allegory for where I'm going with this. But um, for those of you who have seen my video that we put out a little while ago about Resident Evil The Next Generation where I was talking about what characters need to take up the mantle and move forwards, I said there was an earlier draft of the script where it it was way too long, but I spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, where these sort of the four pillars of these characters, Chris, Claire, Jill, and Leon, should end up. Um, And I think out of anybody that is going to work themselves to the point where they don't get a happy ending anymore, that's probably going to be Leon. Like that drive for justice and a never-ending battle against bioterrorism, I could almost see him in a very The Dark Knight kind of way be immortalized by all the great things that he's done and dying in the heat of battle or something. And I know that's not what everybody wants, but I think... And that Capcom are never going to kill off a main character. I don't see it happening. I absolutely... This is not a prediction. I just think it would be very bold for them to sort of immortalize because you are going to have to set these characters down and pick up some new toys to play with at some point because we don't want to be playing a 70-year-old Chris Redfield. But... So, <laughs> I mean, it's going to happen, isn't it? We know it no, is. You're, you're but, completely right but to, I, to have him go down as a martyr. Right, exactly. And, like, he spent his entire life. And, you know, you, you, you immortalize that in this sort of what you were talking about, this sort of, like, future BSAA kind of, like, organization. And he goes down as this important figure that sort of set the foundation of this... This pushback, maybe bioterrorism is starting to reduce and he's contributed to part of this pushback and we can go back to a 
a less action-heavy style of game as well by doing it that way. Um, and yeah, it would be nice for one of the characters to go down that way. I say nice. I think from a storyline perspective, it would be interesting um, how that would affect other characters as well. But that's that's just me. I've I've definitely overthought about these kind of things recently. Uh, Steve, you might be able to bookend us with some nice stuff. What would be your thoughts? I was, how just, I was just busy. When you mentioned Batman, I thought, what, are Leon and Ada going to take their child to the cinema and they can gun down in the street? Um, <laughs> you know, like primarily. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my uh, my ideal ending for these characters is the cheesy Avengers Endgame approach. Like we do Resi Six again, but we do it the right right level of action, that right throttle. Mm. Give all these characters one final big bad. You know, I don't care if it's super super powered alien Wesker from Planet Zod for some reason, still wearing <laughs> sunglasses. You know, some big bad for them all to take down together, and then they retire peacefully, yeah. and then the next ones rise. I Leon, I think it's time for Leon to either pick a side because they're clearly disillusioned mm. and they're seeing what's happening. And they need to decide, is is supporting the government or going against bioterror? Because, you know, like with the BSAA, there's corruption within. Uh, and that, I think, needs to come to a head. Because they can't keep working for people who they know are dodgy. Mm. Yeah. Even in Infinite Darkness, it's, it's still a surprising turn not to backtrack. But the fact that they help cover it up, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and that doesn't strike me as a very Leon move. Uh, overall, though, just you know, bring bring them out of the misery train back into the being a, a, a idealistic rookie cop or detective or secret agent, someone with ideals again, as opposed mm -hmm. to misery, mm -hmm. is the main thing for me. That's fair. completely agree. Yeah, definitely. Oh. All right, well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors. If you'd like to be part of the show, then please look into auditioning for our file readings. Join the Discord server to get in touch with members of the team and our community. Discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans and listen to the podcast live as it's recorded. You can find a link to the server as well as our Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube and more at fasprayPod.com. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify and iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review where you can help spread the word. You can also support the show by picking up some merch or at patreon.com forward slash fa spray pod for as little as one dollar a month in our next episode we wrap up the third season of first aid spray the only way we know how steve dons the Quizmaster cap as we sit back and or stress out at trivia challenge round three Thank you to the panel. You can follow all of us individually. I'm at Siniac underscore one, two, three. Steve is at FB. Steve was taken. And JJ is at JJ from ROE. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. love the fact that Rose carrying the torch for outbreak like all the time it's uh, just, I just, I just, just, I'll just catch you up on the highlights of you guys and Sonny beating the um oh, is it called the, the, the sewer scenario oh yeah underbelly, underbelly I believe yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that was uh that was a lot of fun last night it's that game's always so much fun no matter how many times you play it to come back to with friends even you know same friends different friends and then replay mm. the same scenarios to me it never gets old and it's always entertaining to play and to watch that game that that series needs all the love it can get yeah it's always it's nice so to see people find the flag like steve says we've not touched it yet i've never played outbreak so we'll we'll get really? there yeah. Oh, it'll yeah. Be, yeah it'll be very special when we do because you know with the fan servers and stuff and being able to play it with people it's just a matter of like we need to do it that way it needs to be done right so we just wait until make that happen you want the authentic uk way side where you're playing with just the bots yelling at you the entire time <sighs> my life is shit.
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Your timing sucks, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>